Hello and welcome to Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast about the movies from the 2010s. I'm Jack Draper. With me is Clay Williams, uh, ready to pick up dog shit. I don't, I don't I know. know. I couldn't think of anything. How? Okay, this was maybe my biggest takeaway from the movie. Mm-hmm, what please. the fuck is that dog eating? Like, that's so um, much shit. That's so much. And he is yeah. having, like, human He's size. having the time of his life. He does not know the events unfolding I, mean, I don't oh i don't know i bet like he doesn't he's only allowed that one entryway he's not allowed in the house and he can't go outside i don't know i mean he's probably house, fine or is but it like, like around I, the house like i don't know I, it's literally i only you only see him in that one entryway like yeah. that driveway right, and right, like right. the courtyard yes yeah. or whatever but no it's just I mean, like, it's funny you start talking about the dogs though because they're kind of dogs everywhere like when they go away for christmas right yeah and there's a scene with the dog heads and like for some reason the dogs keep licking cleo which is interesting mm. well it's because you know she cleans up their shit mm. no yeah. um yeah i know i mean it's, you it's... probably they pro- they probably spend more time with cleo than they do sophia well i um, mean every vulnerable person in the movie spends more time with Cleo than with, yeah, their, than with her. I'm just saying, that's a lot today. of... Oh, okay. Well, um, all right. I, 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 I didn't want to interrupt. I didn't want to interrupt. No, no, yeah. Let's redo that. I know we had a flow going. It's a new I was year. still talking about dog shit, earlier. and I was I still had some no, thoughts on the dog shit, whole... but okay. All right. I'm just saying, those are a lot... That's a lot of... I don't know why that dog poops so much, and because that's just a lot of poop. It's a lot yes, of poop. I have a dog. A, it's much smaller, but still, it's a lot of poop. It's an abnormal amount of shit. And with us here to talk about dog shit, it's uh, Andrew Kendall. Welcome back, my friend. Thank you for having me to talk about uh, a movie that I am low-key obsessed with. Mm. Ooh, Very low-key. excited to get into Roma today. Uh, a big one. You know, I think a lot of people will look at back at the 2010s as capping off primarily with with uh, more personal works and we'll certainly get into that and Roma is sort of the one that has kicked off this trend and was just you know a big cultural moment but before we get into that uh what have we been watching lately is is our new segment since Andrew has been here last oh nice uh what have I been watching lately well I'm actually recording this in a hotel room at the Palm Springs Film Festival uh, I am on the jury for the Fopresky Prize. Uh, we watched about 35 of the submissions for the Best International Film Oscar. And we award a prize for Best Picture, Screenplay, Actor and Actress. So it's kind of um, a very happy coincidence. I'm here talking about a former Best International Film winner. Mm-hmm. But I'm watching probably one of the future nominees right now. Um, yeah. And... Since this will be released after it's mid official, I can tell you that um, Saint Omer was um, our best picture winner. Wow. Mm. Fabulous. So, yeah. wow. Will I get in trouble for that? Well, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> this it'll is actually be, being released be tomorrow, public. and I it'll like it. Right. I actually am recording this on yeah. my phone. <laughs> Scandal. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea. You just hear them knock the door and you're like, oh no, I just yes. realized a winner. The FBI. But I'm trying to like wrap my brain and I'm looking at my intense spreadsheets of movie stuff. And I'm pretty sure that Roma is 
my favorite film in the last five years. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Like I've, I, I definitely have like been a little bit more ambivalent over the last couple of years. I mean, blame it on the pandemic or less movies being made, but I mean, Roma was my favorite 2018 movie and 2018 is also my favorite decade, my favorite year of that decade. I feel I like that. that's the best year for movies for the mm-hmm. 2010s. Like I have, I could name like 10 movies from that year that I genuinely love a lot. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I can, yeah. Yeah, I feel like I can, yeah. It, that, that's a, that's a deep year. Like, I don't know if, uh, for me, if there's like one that stands out, it's just all of them are kind of on the same tier of mm. being really damn good. Because I just think that it's just a very, that's the, I think that's the year I've seen the most movies, like the most movies released in one year. I think that's when I've, yeah, I think I, I've seen the I most. I agree. It's either that or movies. 2019. It's a, that's when I was in the theater yeah. all the fucking time. I was was living in the movie theater. Shout mm-hmm. out to Regal Bridgeport, gang, gang, gang. Um, no, uh, it's it was definitely a big part of my life. And I know we're not getting into um, when we first saw it, since I didn't see this in the theater. I, I don't have to talk about it. But 2018 was for sure like the pivotal year of me just like, OK. I have fucking, you know, this. The, the, I think I had Regal Unlimited or some shit. And I'm like, I'm just going to go to the fucking movies all the time. And I live five minutes away. I'm not doing much right now. I was at a weird point in school or whatever. So I'll just fucking do that. And I saw like. I wonder how many movies I saw that year in theaters. I bet it's like. I, I can't even guess. I don't know if it's not like 100, but it's the like, most like, in a year. It's like by far. Yeah. Um. And to kind of, talk, Andrew, you mentioned like you feel more ambivalent lately. I really, this year, I just have barely seen any new releases. And on one hand, I'm a little self-conscious about it because, you know, I talk to people and say, like, oh, yeah, these are my top 10 list or whatever. And I'm just, so on one hand, I am. But on the other hand, I'm just like, I don't, I'm fine with it. It's like, whatever. I, I, I just haven't felt the need. I've watched a lot less movies in general, but I have, but the stuff I have been watching is usually stuff that has not come out this year. It's just like stuff I want I mean, to watch. If you think about it also, I mean, if you think about 2018, it's kind of like a demarcated kind of year because it's true. If you think about it, when 2019 came, the 2019 Oscars were in early 2020 when we were just starting the pandemic. Mm-hmm. If you think about yeah. it, 2018 was the last it's true. award season that was completely like normal. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And talk about normal because you know it's after. like that's <laughs> yeah if if normal in the 2019 season is just like you wouldn't think that at first but you're right in that context um because by like, the time you know, parasite won the oscar the next year it was like we were just about to head into yeah the end lockdown. times yeah <laughs> it's fascinating and we'll get to next year because you know it's worth repeating uh when you bring up parasite because we've already covered it but since it's it it won best picture, we've done the best picture winners. It also won best foreign film. That leaves us with having to replace it, uh, and we decided to do one of its nominees with Almodovar's *Pain and Glory*. Uh, we oh, love the okay. film, and we figure if *Parasite* was not there in its Oscar race, then uh, *Pain and Glory* wouldn't have won the Oscar. That's an interesting question. I I don't yeah. think I've ever even thought about what was um. 
Well, that's the thing, because Roma was, it was, that was one of the most, that's one of the bigger locks yeah. in the last 10, 20 years of, like, mm-hmm. that is winning international feature. It, it was a no steam, it was, fucking question. Yeah. Uh, also, Quran and director Steamrolled. I think it's also. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. I can't, um, I cannot, I, it'll come to me maybe. It will come to me maybe even during this episode, but I can't think of who was like a number two next to Quran. Um, and, uh, and of course, you know, with picture, we all know what happened. But, uh, it's. Uh... <laughs> I mean, it's I. It's an interesting way to start off talking about Roma, like thinking how would that year look without Roma? And I mean, if you think about it, like there was so much going on in terms of a lot of, you know, you know, there was Spike Lee with Black Landsman. Mm-hmm. There was, you know, The Favorite. I, I, you know, Stars um, born. Yeah, so it was, it was, it was a very varied year, yeah. and I mean, awards being what they were, I do think the twenty eighteen season had a lot of options. So if you weren't into one kind of movie, you had another kind. Like there was mm-hmm. such variety. I think even in terms of what's good and what's bad. Like, I know, so right? Many, it's because it's yeah. like you have vi- I that year again that was a year I was, I was locked into i can think I, I think i can name off all the best picture nominees uh panther uh clansman roma green book vice rhapsody um stars born stars born i think it's it and you mentioned the favorite i think yeah oh the favorite um <laughs> yeah and it's like three of those movies suck. Um, <laughs> I, have... I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't know if I'd say Star is Born sucks, Clay. Yes, cancel me. Star is Born. Can you tell me the quartet of, uh, since we're getting into an award season, the quartet of acting winners? If you can. Malik. Mm hmm. Uh, Coleman, which is the mm-hmm. best part of that, Oscar of course, of course. Um, like seeing that live was pretty crazy. Her speech, oh, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, b- b- supporting uh, Ali, mm-hmm. and then which I think is an absolutely awful performance. I love it's Mark. Pretty, Ali, it's pretty bad. It's yeah, awful. So bad. It's almost like well, com- good by default, but it's compare. Like yeah, great. compared to Vigo on its, it's own, like, or like giving... yeah, compared to anything. Right. And then supporting um, actress also a lock. Like this person like really had no competition. Like I mean, even though she didn't with even get nominated at the SAG Awards. It was it's kind SAG, of a weird year. You know, that was a hiccup, but yeah. it's like even but it's then, funny it's talking about of, awards that was a weird Roma thing, yeah. because this was actually the last year that I watched the Oscars live. Mm, good for I you. I stopped watching it live since then. Yeah. And I, I do and I don't want to say it's you got it, you I got a so... weird goodbye from Julia Roberts. You're like that's yeah. her show. And then you're like, yeah, that's it for me yeah, too. I feel like, I mean, it's, I, I won't say it's because I am still like indignant about Roma losing the Oscar, but mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it's not not that either. Yeah. <laughs> my, my mom liked Green Book. We saw it together and she knows I didn't really like it. And But we also watched Roma together and she was also like, that's fucked up. And I'm like, yeah, it is fucked up. <laughs> like, even her, like, being this, like, you know, like, she she has decent taste or whatever, like, but she's not, like, a movie person. And so it's, like, just her being, her having the fortitude just to be like, yeah, no, that was really shitty. And I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, you got it. Right. Yeah. You get it. You get me. You're right on the money. 
But do you Good remember job, who won Mom. Best Supporting Actress? I don't. I forget who. I, it's. I can't think of it. Uh, it's this young up and comer named Georgina <laughs> King for If Beale Street Could Talk. Which was my number two movie of that year, actually. Yeah. Oh, uh, I re- uh, the reason I forgot about that because it got so little love at the Oscars. Exactly. Oh. Right. Um, I mean, you know, what I a- guess it, when looking back at that, it's just sort of like Annapurna just didn't just didn't do anything, I guess, with, with it. But it, it's strange, like seeing seeing that as like the follow up. Well, they got they, like, well, they did get a nomination in there. Yeah, they did yeah. get a best picture nomination in there with fucking Vice. That's so crazy. Beale Street. Ugh. that's a I think tragedy. they prioritized Vice over Beale Street. That's I a guess. tragedy. Oh, yeah. You're right. Yeah, it's strange. Uh, and then everyone re- sort of rallied around Regina King. But, you know, it's it's like those two actress winners. Those are pretty like. Great. Yeah. And then you have fake teeth McG- uh, McGee in uh, <laughs> right. fucking. Mahershala, like Sean. playing pretend. Right. Yeah. Um, Clay, we, you and I've noticed going back to what we've been watching recently, you and I happened to see the same film. So I was going to no say, do you copy me? Because no, I, I watched it before you, you did. It that's until, that's so like, funny. I saw that's your so log funny. activity for it. Um, Rolls well, movie. It, it's City Limits: The Verdict. Um, ah, I, it's in my watch list for fifty-two new films that I watch one a week that have been my watch list forever, and this was one of them. Uh, this is a new like masterpiece, like sort of like you know master class in just. Uh, all around like great great sydney man sydney fucking lament just like an absolute assassin just gets in there you give him five bullets you give him five people all those people are dead no word no questions he's efficient you know it's like because it obviously comes from theater uh and it doesn't feel this one doesn't feel stagey it doesn't feel like contained if it's like there's such life outside of the frame and he really knows how to make everyone feel so natural but um yeah, there's a shot in the closing i think it's in the closing um i forget what the legal term is but the closing arguments or whatever and there's this like um uh it almost feels like a crane shot the way it moves it folk it, you know it's like newman's giving his speech he's looking at the jur- uh, jury and then it like the camera kind of floats above the jury and then like focuses on his face. And it's like, and it just, it's moving at just the right time. It's just some of those. I always love to see like a director, like, okay, how are you going to handle a court scene? What are you mm-hmm. going to do? It's a thing that's been fucking beat. To Where do you death. put the camera in such Where, like a boring space? Like, what are, what's, oh, what's makes yeah. you so special? What are you going to actually do with this space? Because everyone's done everything imaginably possible with a courtroom scene. So I, you know, I love seeing that. Um, So that is funny because the reason I watched the verdict was because I just watched Michael Clayton for the first time right before that. Oh, Um, And I'm like, I need some kind of legal, like, you know, for those that don't know that I was clapping for it. Right. Um, (laughs) It's a movie that I've always Everyone who knows me has been like, you're going to love that. And I'm like, I, yeah. I know I am. Yeah. Um, and, and you loved it. Oh, yeah. 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 I am Shiva, the god of death. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's great fucking movie. Uh, Clooney, man. It is kind of crazy how quickly into that movie I forget I'm watching George Clooney. Because mm. I don't know. It's, it's like, kind of a perfect 
character actor pair. Like you can't. Yeah, really but it's see definitely not Danny Ocean. Like it's not like fucking charisma shooting out of his fucking eyeballs. It's not Jack like, Foley from Out of Sight. It's not. right. It's it's this definitely kind of this really you know like cynical. He's down to his luck, but also very like hard. He's like, yeah, he's like beaten down and he has so little. He's like almost nihilistic in a way. It's it's really interesting Mm. um, because it's hard for him to play like a real shit, shit person, like a Mm. shit bird. Um, And I'm not saying maybe Michael Clayton's not directly like that, but he he's like he has nothing. He's like a Mm. he's like a husk of a person when we when like the movie starts. How does he describe himself like the janitor? When yeah, he's with that yeah. Family, no, yeah. I clean up. I clean up. The, I clean up. I the clean up the mess. mess. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. yeah Tony Gilroy. It's just you're, yeah, my guy. You're in the back. Uh, ever since you know, ever since Andor, I'm like, okay, all right, Gilroy. Mm. Let's see what you got. Um, yeah, no, uh, great movie. And the other stuff I've watched. To talk about the Oscars. I mean, great turn for Tilda Swinton. I was I did not know yeah. she was going to be in it for that much. I thought since mm-hmm. she won the Oscar, I expected like way more screen time. But she's great mm-hmm. in it. I mean, yeah. she's the, like her her probably it's really her like best, that ending scene that just I was going to say her best that. scene is yeah. her when she has like two lines. Mm-hmm. She doesn't even like that's her best. That's what would be my Oscar clip if I made one mm-hmm. was her literally saying nothing and her just reacting to Clooney. When um, he takes the picture of her on the flip phone. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, <laughs> And then, so continuing my Denzel um, marathon, I watched Virtuosity, which is a super, it's the definition of a 90s relic. It's him and Russell Crowe. And Russell Crowe, let me just try to explain this plot to you. So there is a VR system that they are, that the company is used to, like that is created to train police officers, but it's still so new that they're using inmates to tr- to, to uh like you know fell convicted felons who are on like death row or whatever to try it out to experiment with it first and <laughs> Denzel is a former cop who was arrested and put in jail and now he's doing these experiments for them and in like in this VR training he goes against this computer program that's made up of all of the serial like of 200 different serial killers or to or like you know like the world's the, you know the 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 most dangerous criminals in, known to mankind in in the history of the world and then eventually this VR program gets out and it's Russell Crowe and so Russell Crowe has a personality and like of like Manson son of Sam political terrorists it's like full on nuts and they have to and Denzel and they give Denzel like they'll pardon him to catch him. And it's like and it's like Crow going like full Joker. He's like giving like a Jack Nicholson in Batman performance. It's fucking it's not good, but <laughs> it's a lot. That doesn't it's mean it's unwatchable. No, it's super watchable. Um, It's. He Denzel is decent in it too, but Crow is it's one of those things where you're like, I wonder what if this if he went down more this route to be more like a charismatic villain 
what that would have looked like because he is like legitimately great in it. I mean, he's a fucking psychopath in it, but like he's like a lot of fun, um, super sadistic and and like has he's like chewing up every kind of piece of scenery he can. So it was it was interesting and it's funny because like him and Denzel and American Gangster is the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that. Um, I, I mean, have you seen American Gangster? It's right, been a while. I think you have. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, that'll be interesting to like see that soon. Yeah, I might like rewatch your... that too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so that, and I watched Antoine Fisher, mm-hmm. um, which I it's it's cliche. It's like it's like Denzel's Good uh, Goodwill Hunting. It's he directed it. It's mm-hmm. like very Maybe schmaltzy. It it it's like a real heart heart um heart wrencher or a tearjerker and it got me it's very effective i think the actors are really are really good mm-hmm. um uh the guy the 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 star uh the guy who plays antoine fisher was actually um a recurring character on the americans which i appreciated because i didn't oh, realize cool. that at first oh Derek luke yeah um right i think say it again is it Derek luke yes Yes, I I always thought that he would have become a bigger actor. Same, especially after after watching Anton Fisher. I'm like, this movie. I mean, I don't know if it was like a huge hit, but like this is like you know a Denzel directed movie, like straight down the middle, based off a true story, that kind of thing. He's really solid in it. I'm yeah, I'm surprised he didn't he didn't do more. I mean, he's in a bunch of stuff, but he's not really like notable in anything. Um. But yeah, that was yeah, that was just that really hit for me. I I like it more than it is good mm. because it's just the emo- the like how emotionally involved mm-hmm. it, uh, I am in it. But like, it's still really solid, you know. Like you see sense. that it's emotionally manipulative, but it's not so much oh, like yeah, and earned it, like in a right. I mean, I think I think a lot. I would argue that a lot of it's earned, but I'm never gonna total. I'm never gonna say it was like you know. It, it, it's very much like uh it's goodwill hunting i don't know how else to say yeah. it. it's like sure, it's sure, sure. it's denzel's goodwill hunting he plays like a therapist you know he's he's he he explores this kid's very traumatic past um and this kid in you know the in this like you know this young adult is trying to reckon with his tra- you know his trauma and how that affects his current relationships like it's like it, it's goodwill hunting. Denzel I mean, saw obviously, goodwill hunting and wanted to make that well it's based off a true story yeah. oh, um okay. and the guy who's it who who it's basically the antoine fisher wrote it like the, oh, really? le, the legit antoine fisher wrote antoine fisher um <laughs> Which is kind of interesting, but yeah, no, I, I I thought it was really solid, and also the subject matter of some of that stuff really hit home with me. So I'm just like, yeah, I, I like it. Um, <laughs> it was very much like a, I, I don't know if I was sobbing at the end, but I was definitely crying. I was definitely crying. Um, it was yeah, I, I, I it's perfect for like a rainy afternoon on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. That's how I would put it. If you're just like at home, you want you have some time to kill. You wouldn't mind getting a little emotional. That's definitely the movie for you. Um, it's like two hours. It's like fine. But yeah, that's I that's really it. Um mm-hmm. yeah. good. Um I don't know, I was trying to think like yeah, like other I was I was just trying to think of other thoughts I had on, on the verdict, but it's just I think we wrapped it up. It's just like Newman. 
Paul Newman, Paul Charlie Newman. Rampling, Jack Warden, James Mason. What more do we have to say? Like it's it's all there, like the screenplay. Uh Charlotte Rampling's eyebrows David are Mamet. iconic. Yeah. Her eyebrows and like her just like the sculpt of her face. Like her like look. It, it's like she's very I she's beautiful, but the word I would use is striking. Mm-hmm. Like there's some people who you just look at and you're like, oh shit, okay. All right, let me gather myself. This is like they're just like a very striking person. She it's looks like, like no one else you. in that movie. That's yeah, because all of them are like, you know, yeah. like 80, you know, 80 year old like white men who have smoked <laughs> 20, 20 packs a day or whatever. Yes. She looks like she is kept away from nicotine. It's like, okay, clearly. Right. Yes. Um, yeah, it is. It, it is. Yeah, it's really bizarre because, yeah, the most of most people she hangs out with are fucking Jack Warden and um, Paul Newman. Right. <laughs> like most of her scene partners are like, okay, like, you know, like almost not dead. her age. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, very exciting stuff. We'll be checking in for more Denzel Corner. I feel like we should have like a theme song for a Denzel Corner at this point. If it's going to be, I don't know what's the next one I'm going to do. I'm not. I may. I probably you're not doing it in order. No, that's the thing, and I probably should have. That might have been a better because now I'm just like up freewheeling, you know, Mm -hmm. wheeling and dealing. Just kind of like I don't know. Maybe Mo Better Blues. I don't know. Mm. Oh, you're gonna love that one. The Hurricane. hurricane. That looks fun. Oh, I. Yeah, he was nominated for that one, I think. He was. Yeah. He's quite good. Yeah, I haven't seen a boxing movie in a while. I watched that. Yeah, you know. Yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, uh, and let's see about our first exposures to Afonso Cuarón's Roma. Uh, Andrew, why don't you please start us off? I um I guess I probably was honestly first even to see it in this in North America. Good for you. 
I said, okay. I said, humble yeah. brag. <laughs> oh, yes, very. No, no humility. I mean, I signed after Venice. So, I mean, it won the best, I think, Golden picture prize at Venice. Yes. And so, by that point, it was premiering a TIFF where I was mm-hmm. like the next couple of days, I think. So, everybody was really like, oh, I guess we didn't need to see this. Now. And it won the People's Choice. Oh, wait. No, it didn't. It no, was the runner up. No, to... no, I was just kidding. I was, I was, yeah, I was kidding. Uh, yes. Yeah, so um, we all I saw remember. Roma. I saw Roma in the. That's when we um, should have known. The Princess of Wales Theatre in Toronto. I was like way up in the balcony. It's like a huge, huge ass theater. And I have spoken about this already on the last time I was on this podcast that I was so like emotionally moved that I was like sobbing through like the entire sequence where um, the main character has her baby. Her mm. mother break during a really intense time in Mexico and then she takes tours to get to the hospital and then she gives birth and it's all really really tragic and it's funny because I rewatched it over the weekend in preparation and I haven't seen Roma since 2019 mm. but I taught it in one of my classes and I had this moment of trepidation where I kept thinking what if I don't like it like, right. what if I watch it back now and I am, like, completely in a different, like, headspace? And that makes but, sense. I mean, yeah, there's I mean, so much. Yeah, there's, there's so, so much, much that's happened since. So, so much um, excitement for this one. Like, But, yeah, I, I mean, the thing about Roma, though, is I, I remember watching it in the theater and around half of the movie, like, half of the row I was sitting in left the movie. <laughs> they just, like, they just left. They just like walked out. And I was thinking, Jesus, I guess it really isn't connecting with them. But yeah, I saw Roma then in September. I saw it three more times that year because I, I just kept rewatching it. I saw it when it came out on Netflix a couple of months later. I saw it again in January 2019. And like I said, it has been kind of a pet cause of mine. Uh, just a movie that I think about a lot. I talk about it a lot. I've taught it to my students. And it is very much a watershed movie, whether you like it or not. I mean, it's the first, like, you know, best picture nominee from Netflix. Mm -hmm. It was um, an unusually hyped frontrunner for best picture, even with Mm -hmm. the minute. That still was, you know, a pretty big deal. I mean, Koran is one of the few directors doing a film not in English to win best director. So, Mm -hmm. um, the first, was, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So um, or until Parasite. Yeah. So it was. Yeah. That was my first time, September twenty eighteen. I think it was the fourteenth. I may be wrong on the date, and it has mm. been intense love since then. What was your first time seeing Roma? <laughs> <laughs> oh God! I can go. It took me a second. I'm like, what? Okay. Um, <laughs> I've talked about this theater before I saw it in theaters, but I use theaters in quotes that it's really like my local. Oh, was it the projector room? room? It's the projector room in my parents' town. Um, It's called the screening room and it plays, you know, it cycles out new releases. I thought that was near your college. This is different. It's a similar like style of, Right, 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 right. Yeah, this was, you know, it's a very, very nice way to see it. Um, it, it, it. I don't think it was a, it was, I remember like it was a packed 
it was like everyone was there for it as it was just being screened for like the first week um it was a good sized screen but not too big and it was a very small room um the sound didn't echo too much into like another theater where we could hear like <laughs> like Bohemian Rhapsody playing into hours or something um wouldn't it, that it be was a just, fucking yeah, no, trip. I imagine that yeah uh, but no, it's just, I just felt like emotionally overwhelmed for it. It and like what everyone was saying, there was like this, and, and of course, like I already knew who Alfonso Cron was, and and like he has he had like seven movies under his belt before this, established already had already won Best Director before this. Uh, maybe we'll cover Gravity one day. Um, and I was just, and then I saw it again before uh the oscars thinking like oh man this one was really good it's probably gonna win best picture may as well give it another look (laughs) not even thinking like you know because like i think the you know we thinking about pgas um the producers that's when that was that was when people were like guilt of america huh yeah because then it green book win um Green Book won Best Drama at the Golden Globes. I know that was another important precursor. All of them were at the Golden Globes. You're not alone. Foreign <laughs> films are not allowed to be nominated yeah. for Best Drama. Comedy. That's, all, that's also true. The, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it did win the PGA. Um, yeah, it won yeah. the PGA. That's yeah. when people were like, oh, wait, wait a minute now. Is this... Is this okay. more real then? Because PGA is like, isn't that considered as part of the Guild Awards to be one of the more correlative? Is that the word? Yeah. Uh, Um. So that's uh, that was when I I think so that was when I think people were just kind of looking at their watches and like, I don't know about this one. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're right. You're absolutely right. And it's I I think it was just I think everyone was still like a little bit in denial because like. We just really wanted it for it wasn't so much like we were I mean we were anti Green Book, but it was also like we really we were rallying around this one. I also just was like, when are they really gonna do this? Like are like it was one of those things like it's like 2018, and I'm just like, I mean, okay, I understand that you might have the inkling to vote for it or whatever if you're the academy, you know, with that voting body, but I'm also just kind of like, guys, like driving miss daisy was what 20 30 years ago it's, it's like yeah, late 80s are we what are what are we doing i mean well, i guess I, you could like i don't know certainly green book represented an older generation of voters and certainly the older generation did benefit from the preferential balloting system that maybe i or I mean, myself the thing, which is kind of a the thing about green book, and though, also that... like something else that repressed green or roma uh was the anti-netflix stupid right. you know bias right. which i mean they were coming off of being freaking booed for okja i can right so it's like a strange thing that's really funny rebound, too, though. I don't know it's why. very strange um but i i, I mean th- that was also a factor that i mean i think it's i mean i feel like it's too easy to blame green book winning on old people though because i feel no, like there's enough, there's enough blame to go around here and <laughs> And I also, and like, I mean, Jack implied it earlier. I mean, Green Book did win the audience award at Toronto. The runners True. up, the runners up were Roman and Peter Kutak. And I mean, those are some mm-hmm. great runners up. But it won that. And like, Tiff isn't like a necessarily old crowd. I no, mean, it's pretty yeah. hip. I mean, I, I people, hate saying I mean, that word, people, yeah. people, people just like Green Book. And I mean, like, I'm not a missionary. I mean, I won't yuck 
anybody yum. But I definitely remember that one reason heading into the Oscars, even with the PGA, the people were like thinking Roma had it is because on nomination morning, Roma got 10 nominations in places we didn't expect. So sound editing mm-hmm. and supporting actress. Supporting right. screenplay. So yeah, supporting it, actress it was seemed, a huge. Yeah. Yeah, see, yeah, I mean, that was, was like huge. the biggest shock of the season. So it was, yeah. it, it sort of felt like, you know, the community like rallying around this movie yeah. in a way that felt significant, especially since like, you know, Green Book, Linda Cardellini could have been the supporting actress nominee. Exactly. So it, it sort yeah. of felt like, okay, maybe if the actors are on board for Roma, maybe this is something. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is one of the years where I really would have liked to have seen the ballot votes, not just mm-hmm. for Best Picture, but also, I mean, I love Olivia Coleman, but I'm always going to be a little bit sad that Glenn Close um, didn't win an Oscar. And, and right. that was right. another um, like close one. Um, well, she was you know, the wife. Yeah. I mean, she was the wife. What if there's a wife? <laughs> A wife without... We keep asking ourselves yes. these questions. <laughs> so, yeah, what was your first time seeing it, Clay? Sorry, I'm just looking up something, and that's really interesting. I'll bring that up in a moment. Uh, but so I watched Roma back on December, it looks like. Yeah, so I first saw it in December of 2018, so award season. Uh, uh, um, in the height of award season, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if there was X showing anywhere near me. Probably maybe at like a independent theater in Portland, like downtown. But I doubt if anything in like because Rico and AMC had a whole thing about showing right. Them, like, they like, were jacking when, off and just yeah, like, no, yeah. we can't do Netflix, yeah. which is whatever. I don't. I mean, I, at this point with everything, it, it's so funny and how it's that changed was, since then. But still, exactly, like, like it's all yeah. now so. It, that feels so far away. I mean, it has been like yeah. five years, but it feels like it was decades ago because of all the things that have happened in the like in the industry and also in the discourse of streaming and its impact on everything. Because mm-hmm. um, now it feels because, yeah, that's when we are. That's when like the industry itself was kind of rejecting the you know, to give to or would not. It did get. The most nominations or whatever so yeah. I, maybe not i think it's it time with the rejecting. favorite i'm pretty sure no but there was there was i mean there really was like a significant like unease about what it right. meant for the future of films that this mm-hmm. streaming film people didn't yeah. want to accept it and yeah and i think that's fine i don't i, I and, it, I, and I, of course it doesn't whatever. help but it's a movie not in english it's also yeah. in black and white mm-hmm. it's a very slow movie like i love it it's, but I can, uh, it's, like, an, it's an unhurried a film yeah. yeah it also became so, like people like to say oh it's like a parody of an art film like one of those things where like it has all of those um traits like, you know like you said slow moving black and white not in english you know and people just you know wrote it off almost immediately like, oh it's yeah, there's, there's no plot um right 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 so yeah. and I it's mean, funny that andrew starts this episode with saying it's your it's one of your favorite films of the past five years yet it's turning five this year and to think in such a short amount of time how much has changed in the i mean you know circumstances of course but it's like how much has changed in the world of streaming last year we had our first streaming service winner and it's yeah. not from netflix who we thought for a few years sure, like, would actually be. dominate yeah. um in a few episodes we'll be doing another film that it's like that could also be looked at in the, as a front runner but yet i'll just like things went wrong and we'll get there but 
it's it, Netflix and the Oscars is very interesting and even to today. And I think like it remains like I mean I think it's you kind of alluded to it is because there is this kind of um, weird dynamic with uh, studios and cinemas wanting to show the films and like Netflix has so many rules so very often cinemas are disinclined to really bother with them and I do think that all of that can be ignored and of course the very important foreign language thing. Um, I mean, I know we're talking about awards a lot, but I, I, I have always said that I do think that Roma's importance in that season, I think, did pave the way for Parasite the next year, and it did pave the way, I think, for Drive My Car last year. I do think that it kind of showed people that, you know, you can watch a foreign movie and you can, like, you know, recognize it other than in that category. So I do think that it, it, it was, like, an important like, watershed moment. Like looking back at the Oscars, you know, pre-Roma, post-Roma, there's so much going on there. But it also is, uh, it's not an easy film. It's not an easy yeah, film. It, yeah. it demands your attention. And that's also always an optional battle. Like, I mean, if we're, I mean, if you think of Parasite versus Roma, Parasite is an access. Oh, it's a thriller. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, Roma is a plotless film about this indigenous maid who is having the worst fucking year of her life. Right. I mean, that, that, that really is it. And yeah. even in watching it back this time around, like I, I was kind of seeing it exposed with new eyes. Um, it really is a visually peculiar film. Um, mm. Like one of the notes I made rewatching it is that the very first actual close-up we get in that movie is like 30 minutes in. Or almost thirty minutes in, when Cleo and um, Fermin have sex, and we finally, for the first time, we we have a close up of a person, and it, and it's and it's so strange looking back at that because before that everything is just so detached. It's so sorry about that. It's so detached. It's so like far from um, us. And I think that one of the reasons I like Roma, and I can respect people who don't like it, but I still love it, is that. It feels like a movie where Puran didn't compromise what he wanted to do. And I think that's why I love it. I think that like you watch Roma and you know that's exactly the movie you wanted to make. And I do think that that kind of stuff, at least for me with directors, is really important. Like you watch that movie and you think this is what his vision was. There is no sense of compromising. And I know there have been a lot of discussions on what Netflix means for the future of filmmaking. And like, you know, so many directors had their blank checks from Netflix. I mean, this year, um, Noah Bambach, um, Inaritu, Inaritu, and last year. And there's also the question Arguably. of, you know, are people really doing their best work with Netflix? Because there is kind of the perception that it actually indulges the worst instincts of directors. Because mm. people are always saying, oh, Netflix is so hands off. Directors kind of just take the money and do, you know, these very kind of like navel gazing stuff. And I have seen comments on Roma that are like that, mm-hmm. but I think certainly I something think, that that yeah. insults is uh, been placed upon Mank. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. But I, I genuinely do think that Roma is Quran's um, best movie, mm. and it, it, it means something a lot for me because it, I think it's it's important that. After having won his Oscar, I have my children of men jersey on. Sorry, <laughs> after having won, you know, his Oscar for Gravity, I, I think it is important because Roma was his first film in Mexico in mm-hmm. seventeen years. 
Yeah. You know, he had done Harry Potter and Prince of Azkaban, Children of Men, and of course, Gravity. and to see his craft evolve since White Two Mamba. Yeah. You know, it's so like, I mean, like he's crazy, only he's but... only done three movies that are in Spanish. Instead, in Mexico, he did his first movie, which I know many people haven't seen, Solo Contu Paria, and then he did Itu Mama Tambien in two thousand one, and then Roma. And I did feel like it. There was a nice symmetry because I feel like, as much as Gravity is a great work of direction, I feel it's a lot more meaningful that he wins his second Oscar for something so personal mm-hmm. and so like in touch with, um, you know, his culture. And his identity, and it's also obviously the least like masculine. I mean, maybe I mean he. I mean he has done a lot of. It's funny about Quran though. Like I was thinking, watching this, like what is is there a Quran style? Like he's he's such a hard director to right. pin down. Like he's yeah. done so. Like I mean, people never talk about a little princess. But I saw that, I saw that, I mean, I was a child of the 90s, so I saw that quite young, and I didn't even know Quran had done it at the time. And it's such an unusual film for him to have done, and just great expectations. Like, he, yeah. I don't think Quran has, like, a distinctive type of film, you know? I and, suppose just going towards this theme of maternity is what comes to mind. But I mean, even it's, then, it's like, point. Harry Potter is kind of the outlier. yeah. I mean, Great um, Expectations maybe is also a bit of an outlier in a bit. But I think mm-hmm. he really is, and I think that's why I love him, because I know, like, current discourse on filmmakers is very much about, you know, being able to distinguish a director's, like, calling card. And I like the fact, I don't. I mean, I wouldn't say that Quran is, like, an everyman, like, you know, like a Michael Kurtz or something. But I do mm-hmm. think that he has a willingness to, like, make things up, that his peers don't have like like horror spirits like you know like like fincher or inaritu and i love both of those guys um or i mean who else like or um, even you can identify del toro much clearer yeah, than you can but like there's no like Quran. yeah there's no like but you're Quran right he's Taliban. that doesn't make him a workman even though you can't really i i think maybe one thing people would call Quran uh would be cl- um clinical in a way mm. Um, he doesn't, and I, I don't know if I agree with that. That's just something I've heard, but he's never super overwhelmed. Like his movies are ever overwhelmed by emotion, um, in a way that, I mean, you can be as the viewer overwhelmed by emotion, but there never becomes, and maybe this is maybe me just focusing on his American work. I have seen, so I've seen. All those American films. I've seen E2 Mama Tambien in this. And Gravity, like you mentioned, Andrew, is I like that movie, but you do, do, there is no real personal connection to the material. At least I don't feel it. Um, I'm not the hugest fan of Gravity. Like I like it, but I. I I think it's an okay movie. I think it's a good movie, but it's definitely my least favorite Quran movie. I agree. There's yeah. the, the nexus as in like what is driving the force of the film I think is very important for him because with Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban I think that's also a good movie um, but it's like it does feel like he doesn't it doesn't feel as personally involved it doesn't feel it doesn't have like this like 
this huge momentous like unstoppable force mm-hmm. of a nexus that basically allows the film to feel um complete and personal and um invitive to his world and his viewpoint and his to his ideology and to who he is as a person um you get that with itum mamatambian children of men it's been a while since i've seen it um and roma i do think has that you feel the presence of an artist in those movies mm-hmm. um and in like prisoner of azkaban and gravity you feel you feel the presence of a craftsman those are well crafted movies those are well made yeah. movies um uh, but it doesn't necessarily feel like an artistic exploration of a person's creative imagination i know that's like a five five thousand but i mean i think if you i mean using place point i think one of the things about quran which i mean you can take it or leave it is that he's a director that very often seems like not like subsumed by his work in the sense that he steps back from it in a way i feel like it's not it doesn't feel indulgent even though i know that word's been called for roma but there is there is a yeah. sense of watching Quran's movie that he is trying to like push his agenda, and I mean all directors are in a way because they're making the movie. But I feel like there's an element where Quran, the person, very often seems emotionally absent from his movies. So it's not mm. it's not about him; it's about the characters in it. And I bring that up because I do remember. Um, I like I I did this tweet about Roma a couple of years ago when I was on Twitter um, because I was very annoyed because people kept talking about um, Kenneth Branagh's Belfast as oh. his <laughs> Roma, and it fucking pissed me off. Not because I don't think Belfast is good, which I don't, it's but very not good. But because it it's not like Roma, and I think the thing about Roma that frustrates me is that I, I still think and I, I know the song's condescending, but I'm basing this on the way people talk about it. I don't think people understand this movie. I mm. think I, I think there's something genuinely concerning when people describe Roma as Quran like mythologizing of his childhood. Mm. The Quran character, I mean, gun to your head, can you remember immediately what the Quran character's name is in Roma? I can't think of it. Well, the thing is, but it's that's Pepe. the thing. It's never it specific, no, it's yes. specified, but it's definitely the kid who has like yes, the. Perfect. But like, it's not about him. And I feel like, and for me, watching Roma, Roma's always felt like a, a film, even though it, it doesn't like have Piranha all over it, it. It does feel like a reckoning with the past, his mm-hmm. past, but not about him. Because one of the reasons I thought the film in my class is that I taught in a post-colonial class and I taught it in the context of what is the context of indigenous people in Mexico in the 70s and mm. I mean Latin America and I mean I'm from Latin America also we're, it's filled with indigenous people I mean of course you know the genocide of indigenous people when mm-hmm. you know the Europeans came and whatnot and there is there is a dynamic of the indigenous presence in Latin America that is very often unrepresented in Latin American film. Like when you watch a regular Latin American film, you see white Latinos. You very rarely see indigenous um, mm-hmm. Latinos. And of course, there could be a version of 
Roma, that is about his mom. That's about his mom reckoning with his dad leaving them. And Cleo is like a side character. But it's not that. And I feel like it's, it's impossible not to recognize the liberation in that choice. Because he could have made the move about his mom, which I suspect would have been a lot easier for him. But he instead chooses to focus on this woman who is, in a lot of ways, Cleo is a bit of um, a hard character to pin down because she is always there, but she's also very rarely expressing herself. And I do remember when Roma came out, there was a big discussion on whether or not the film was infantilizing indigenous people. And I do remember like getting into it online um, because I, I, I feel like Rome is the kind of a lightning rod film for me in terms of what people think of when they think of representation. And there was so much conversation about what, like whether or not Quran was complicit in othering indigenous people because he made a movie about an indigenous woman, but she's a maid. And I always think about it. I mean, there are many indigenous people that are maids in Latin America. And to say that putting one of them in a film is perpetuating that idea, I think is so harmful. Like it, it even like even though it's not like you know, a maid is not the job you want people of color to be doing. There are people of color who are maids, and I think to ignore them in stories, on at the expense of you know only showing you know the the richest and the best of indigeneity, I think is so harmful, because there's that great scene in Roma where Cleo's estranged um, child father, she goes looking for him. She tells him that you know she's pregnant and he abandons her and she goes to see him months later and he basically threatens to kill her if he, she sees he comes she comes to see him again and he says you know calls her a servant you, that you're just a fucking yeah. servant not just a servant yeah. you're a fucking servant yeah. and yeah, that's good you, can, you, you can kind of like get the sense in that moment that for him because um for me is we later learn is one of the um people like fighting in the um <laughs> I forget the Spanish the translation, strike. but it's yeah, the, the Hawks, yes. yeah, the Harpus yeah. Christi massacre, or there are other names for it. And I did you- so much Googling last night because <laughs> I'm like, okay, there is so much context here. I got it. And I was, I've never been on Wikipedia. I, it's been, you, you ever have those, t- like those, like, you know, those days where you're just on Wikipedia <laughs> just for like a good three hours. And then you're like, okay, I think I got it. And then, cause that's what I was after that movie. Cause I'm just like, I because I, I remembered that part of it, but I just was like I but I remembered I think I might have looked it up then, but not really understanding any of it. And now I've taken a few history classes. Um my last uh my the last two history classes I've taken is with the same teacher. Um and he uh is an expert in Chicano studies. Uh he is from Mexico. Um uh and I've you know I've talked with him about some stuff and learning and but I still didn't have any real context for the massacres and student uprisings and all of that stuff in Mexico and I, and I'm not gonna break it down like a shotgun because I will because I will fuck it up uh, you know, <laughs> completely but just to say a lot of fucking con- socio-political and geopolitical context goes into this entire movie that um, is that some people find to be like an afterthought I think it's um, I don't know I think you kind of have to have it in there because that's like because then you're ignoring 
where these people actually live. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, all these politics come out of nowhere or whatever. And it's like, one, these are these neighbor, you know, this is like a very, Mexico City is very, is a highly populated area. So yes, there's a lot of people who live there. And two, it's like, that's what this was happening during then. This isn't like, maybe he, uh, maybe, I, I don't know if uh, Quran's real um, nanny was there. Uh, I, I didn't look that up, but these are the things that were happening around him and everyone else at that time. So it, I always, I always find it interesting when people say, oh, like they, like they just, he just wanted to add the politics in because, you know, he wanted to make the film deeper or whatever. And it's like, I mean, okay, fucking maybe. I don't know what he wanted to do, but I just disagree with the idea that it is out of nowhere because it's very much, one, it's central to the plot of the film, and two, it's the central part of what was happening right then. Like, this is a huge moment in Mexican history and is also a continuation of other huge moments in Mex Mexican history. Just because you don't know what the fuck it's about doesn't mean it's out of nowhere. Like, just do some Googling and you'll figure out why that was so fucking important. Sorry. If he chose I mean, to subtract it, it would then feel mythologized and it would then feel artificial. Exactly. Since Then you're creating an alternate reality. It then creates Cleo to move past her life without any obstacles. We see that the guy that she's seeing would, wouldn't then... Um, join the the government and then would you know possibly that that would that would carry on into something else um it and was, i mean i it, think it, oh sorry go ahead jack yeah no it's just um it, it's no yeah i just there's such like we say uh there's such essential detail um within every frame that it feels like uh, and also like the the part of i was hearing Quran talk about the uh the cho the choice to shoot this in digital black and white and not a film language a film black and white that there's no grain on the picture and it looks like a memory rather than you're copying a stylistic form of something from like a Fellini film or something or like a yep. like 400 blows where it really looks like you're placing it from a film of that time not so much a memory of that time uh another thought I sorry to like take us way back another no, thought I had um from talking about Quran as, as a filmmaker and as like a stylist, he reminds me of Ang Lee. I say that because in terms of people are like, I mean, well, what makes director. an exactly, yeah, that's what a good, makes an I think Ang Lee a good parallel actually? What makes an Ang Lee movie is like something that people will will seriously consider. Um, both two time Oscar winners, I think, is key that they've won for like personal dramas emotionally torn character driven stories and then the higher budget effects driven work that that um that are also well celebrated multiple oscar nom nominations right and if you think um, about it both i mean it's it's a, it's a different order but like if you think of life of pi and Brokeback mountain versus gravity and roma, roma. both mm. the personal stories were front runners for best picture and they lost Exactly. Yeah. And but I don't think anyone thought that Life of Pi or Gravity would, would win Best Picture. Yeah. Like it, it wasn't ever a yes. Best Picture front runner, but it was like I think Clay described it as like a technical marvel. Mm -hmm. And I think that is interesting because how many directors, if you think about it, have the like emotional or film acuity to do something as emotionally like 
earnest and then do all the visual pyrotechnics. You know, I mean, if you think about it, they are unusual in that way. Like, I think Ang Lee's a really great um, parallel, actually. Like, I mean, Ang Lee did something mm-hmm. with sensibility, which is miles away from Life of Pi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, I mean... I mean, he did the Ice Storm, which is miles away from... Both of those. Hulk. Yeah, both of those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hulk is great. I, I guess seen. Hulk. I guess Hulk is Ang Lee's Prisoner of Azkaban. I didn't have I didn't have any contrast from Hulk from anything else. I just <laughs> want to say it's great. Um, but yeah, and, it, and I guess I don't I don't know if I, I mean you can't really talk. I mean I couldn't think of Quran style much without thinking about Lubeski, who is clearly absent here because I think of logistics of scheduling conflicts. Yeah. Um. But I believe. But um. And then Quran went and acted as his own DP. Um, in the Excellent, movie, yeah, winning, uh, winning best cinematography. Um, it it looks great, and there's this real set, yeah, like you know, it, like the shots really hold on themselves, and you don't feel, and it's framed in this way where it's like the world really expands outside of the frame, and there's not many. Sh- I mean, Andrew talked about that takes a while to get to your first close-up of the film you're with cleo throughout the movie but you never really feel like it's her that you're locked down to because of the framing and that's a very yeah. smart choice and i think to um just like expand on i think there's a really good point about the political dynamics in this is that i think i said at the beginning that the movie is one that requires like perhaps even demands your attention like if you watch Roma half-heartedly, you're not gonna get mm, it. Right. And it's one reason I'm like I mean as much as I love Roma, and if somebody tells me that, and as much as I, I don't love feel, Roma, that's I don't one feel way that Netflix offended. heard it. Yeah. Right? But on the other hand, like, yeah, those political dynamics are in the movie from the inception. Like if you're not completely keyed into the movie's vibe, you miss a lot of things. And it's one reason I understand if person say they don't vibe with it. But there are so many little moments in this movie. Where if you're not paying attention or you have no context for Mexico, it misses you. I think one super important moment is when the family goes away for Christmas and New Year's. And there is this continuous mention that there is some kind of conflict happening with the indigenous people about their land. Like we even get a mention that um, Cleo's mom, who is mentioned a lot but we never see, has actually been like put out from her house by the government. And if you have any context for um, indigenous culture in Latin America, like, you know, there's the, con- and it's similar in the USA, I suppose, which is, you know, the sacred lands of the indigenous people and this kind of like dynamic between non-indigenous, you know, majority and whether or not they have the right to their land. And I think so much of that feeds into why Cleo is the way she is, because she gets pregnant early in the movie and there is no one in her family there you know like you like you can understand if you have a context in mexico that you know where she's living in colonial rome in mexico city is very far from where other people like her are so you see all these indigenous people in the movie but they're all just working for these white people because that's mm-hmm. the cultural dynamic and the film i think is super like astute on that to this context of the way that Cleo and her 
fellow maid in the house, Adela, they often move between Spanish and their actual indigenous language, which is... Um, it's always it's been interesting too, that Netflix has always been putting brackets. Yeah, so the mixed the um, yeah. which I which I thought was really thoughtful because of I course for people who speak neither, we may not be able to recognize the variation, mm. but the subtitling yeah, explicate that and I thought that's really thoughtful. I think it's impossible not to think of Roma I think as a political film because it is very like locked into the dynamics of what it is like in this time. And to your point, Jack, I do think that that really harsh, like, lighting of the cinematography kind of adds to that. Like, th- there isn't a sense that like, you can kind of get lost in this kind of, like, magical past thing. It- it's just all very, like, really, like, harsh and, like, bright. And it's really, it, it just feels, like, striking and, like, overwhelming in some ways. Because the camera keeps on moving. Like in the opening scene, we meet Cleo watch washing of dog shit <laughs> um, for a while. And there is this plane overhead that she hears and we see briefly. And so the first few minutes is just her cleaning. She's cleaning the house. She's moving around. And it's so strange because the camera keeps moving, but the camera isn't moving with her. Like, if you think of a main character in a movie, the camera's moving, the camera will follow them and stay with them. So it feels like if we're not really moving. But Cleo's moving in one direction, the camera's moving in another direction. So it's almost as if we're just kind of being asked, like, step back and, like, recognize what this place looks like. And when Cleo was talking about the political dynamics and how not having that would make it a myth, I do think that the house that Cleo works in, you know, in a way, is a protected space. Like, like in that world, Cleo is a maid. Sophie is the mom. She has all these children that Cleo takes care of. And the more... And they clearly the, love. Yeah, and like the, put but, up the more, but the more that Roma leaves that house, the more things get messy. Like, every, like all the worst things that happened in the movie happened out of that house. But it's not because the house is this perfect place. And I think that's important. It's not like if Quran is saying, you know, her life as a maid is the best thing about her. And I think that is what always kind of frustrates me because I think it's easy to watch Rome, especially the ending where, you know, Cleo saves kids and they're all very thankful to be like, oh, you know, the movie's arguing that being a maid is the best thing ever. But I think that the film is way too ambivalent for us to, like, come away with that it, it's not yeah, saying I you know disagree. yeah it, yeah. Yeah, yeah i don't like i don't know i don't think it's saying that like you know she is like this is the best thing for her. i feel like it really is just this kind of observational dynamic where you just kind of see what things are because even when sophia is nice to cleo she's also pretty awful to her and sometimes that happens in the in the same scene so like in that early moment where the family is watching tv and cleo is like serving food or something and then she comes and sits mm-hmm. next to the little by Pepe and there's this really nice shot from the back where it looks like a, a, a family like they're all one family and then Sophia says can you get the doctor some tea <laughs> immediately interrupting that kind of like you know I- idealism and I feel like the movie keeps on doing that where even at the end after Cleo loses her baby 
Sophia's like, oh, we're going to go away and we're going to invite Cleo because, you know, she's having a hard time. But she's not going to do any work. But then she works while she's on holiday. It, it, so, it, so it's always this kind of, this unease where on one hand, they are nice to her and they do care about her. But also, Quran keeps reminding us that she is not their family. So certain, and, yeah, and, and the, I think the best scene that does this is when Cleo's water breaks and she's out with um Sophia's mom and she goes to the hospital and, yeah. and she doesn't know anything about Cleo. Right. What what's her middle name? I don't know. What's her birth? I don't know. Is How she old is she? I don't know. Yeah. She, what's like, your relationship and, with her? And and I feel like she's our employee. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it's so important because yeah. as much as they can, you know, show Cleo affection or care. They still, they, they don't really get her. The only time we really see Cleo as a person are in those important moments with those other indigenous women. Mm-hmm. And it's such, an, it's such a different um, feel there. And I feel like it happens a few times. So perhaps you can argue that maybe if he wanted to be like earnest, he should have made the movie about that dynamic. But that would be a different movie. Right. Yeah, and I do think that the movie judge is the movie we us. have. Don't judge the yeah. movie we don't have. Yeah, exactly. Right? So I feel like yeah. I feel like Quran is too much of a perfectionist to have included those things for no reason. They are there for us to respond to, and I do think that the movie is very ambivalent and does leave us with the sense of, oh, what, what, what? No, like it, it doesn't feel resolved. Like we feel like okay, at least we know that. There's a space for her there, but also it's not her home. Yeah. There's yeah. a couple of quotes from Quran that I'm thinking of with what you're saying. Um, that with his American, from what his merit from his American films in particular, he's very research-based. Um, and those inform the character dynamic, the worlds, the craft, and that real that naturalism is baked into what he's trying to search for. Um, and here is, I mean, we all know, I feel like it's a very famous, because this was so big during, it's a words conversation. It's very famous that that the process that he took was memory-based, that there was not really a completed script, but it was more lines of dialogue. I mean, you know, correct me if I have this wrong. It, it was more lines of dialogue that was given to Maria Trevia and Ulysses Aparizio and it was, and it was day-to-day, shooting where it's like he and the production designer would know the completed story but not really like would the actors wouldn't have like conversations that would have with each other essentially and um because of that that informs also the naturalism in the performances of course um and then the other part uh from what we for when we think back to that scene of of um cleo having supper with uh, with the family um notably it took me to my second watch when i was like this is gonna win best picture i might as well see it again uh <laughs> she was sitting on the floor she yeah, was not on, on the, the couch exactly with the rest of the family because it's like quran has this has this idea of making cleo your pov as she's uh someone of convenience that yes you're a part of the family but you're gonna also pack the kids lunches right and uh i guess there's something to that 
And I think what for me, because I, I do think that the film is a critique of a lot of the things that it shows us. And I know people often get their asses kicked about the difference between representation and endorsement. <laughs> and I do feel that it's easy to watch Rome and think, okay, Quran is saying everything we see, he endorses. But then there is, I think, I remember in the awards run, people kept showing certain scenes of Rome. And I think it's all the case with movies where certain scenes become eponymous with the film, even though especially the they're not scene. they're not they're not the best representation so in rome of course the patriarch of the family leaves early on we find out super late that he's actually left the family although there are clues from early on and there's a scene late in the movie where sophia goes out she gets drunk as fuck and she comes back home um parking the car and driveway like mm-hmm. it's a complete disaster and then she grabs cleo and she says, remember that we, we're always alone as women. So, so it's kind of this, like, you know, she's kind of like creating this bond between them. And I think I remember that scene like being thrown off through award season. Like if the film was arguing, you know, Cleo and Sophia just the same. But the movie is very clearly not because consistently we see the way that Sophia is not a very present parent. She's not a bad person. I think that the movie is tough in that way because it doesn't show her as a villain. It's a lot easier if, you know, there's this indigenous maid and the, you know, white Latina is like a complete bitch. So we can be like, okay, she's terrible. And she's not shown that way, but she is also not shown as a perfect person. And I think of a scene early on where Cleo goes to wake all the children and the tenderness that she shows to them is completely absent in any interaction with the parents. And... For me, watching the movie, it doesn't feel like Quran is saying, oh, this is great. It, it seems like he's saying, this is, this is concerning, though. Like, the way that whenever she interacts with her children, it, it, it seems, like, so tense. It, it's so, like, and, like, for example, all of the adults in the family, other than Cleo, they're always making comments about the one girl, her weight, Mm. don't give don't give her that she's too fat mm-hmm. or there's or there's a scene where um like i mean even the, the beach scene where cleo saves them like sophia knows cleo can't swim why on earth as a mother does she say okay right. go go swimming go swimming cleo's gonna watch you there is i think there is that very like emphasized carelessness it's not that she's an awful person but we can recognize that she is full of shit so even in the moments when she, and like, I was watching it and when I watched it, I mean, like I said before, this movie kind of just like makes me cry. I, I don't know why. It's just, it just kind of always hits me. And this time around, I really felt really sad in that scene where Cleo tells Sophie she's pregnant. And Cleo's afraid that she's going to get fired and she isn't. And like, like Sophia, they take her to the doctor and it's all pretty nice. But the first thing that Sophia says when Cleo tells her is just like, oh God, you're so silly. It's it's like it's like a it's like a brief moment and then she like moves on. But again, all of these like clues are there that things are not perfect here. This isn't some, you know, like heavenly place where Cleo is, you know, you know, living her best life as a maid for these people. It, there are deliberate implications that this is not an ideal space, but it's the best that she has right now. A lot of yeah, a lot of like the discourse surrounding like Cleo being saved or whatever at the end um, is something I, I, 
I don't want to say I fundamentally disagree with, but I just do. I he never Quran never forgets what the power dynamic is. At the very end of the movie, the kids ask her for a fucking Twinkie or something, or can you go get this? Can you go <laughs> like? And she's and the very end shot is her going upstairs to do laundry or whatever the yeah. fuck. like. This is like he doesn't forget the the power dynamics of what this is but i also think the way people talk about the ending and her role in it and her you know and her connection to her job is i think a lot of the people who talk you know the way they talk about it have no actual experience in child care and i get that not a lot of people do but as someone who before you know when i saw this movie i had zero experience in child care and now i have the last since the since last summer um, I have been working almost exclusively in childcare. Um, oh, yeah. Like, uh, so I currently work at a after school, um, after school program for like you know K through five, fifth grade, uh, K through fifth graders. Um, and I have a class, a group that I specifically um look over, specifically the fifth and fourth graders that I at one point was seeing almost every day. Now I, I see like them twice or once a week. And there is that connection. And this is not even close to the connection that Cleo has with her kids because uh, uh, with the kids of the family, because she's there, you know, 24 seven and, you know, sees them at their most intimate moments. But there is this codependency that, you that happens when you become so familiar with these kids and you feel so responsible for these kids even though if they're not yours that you are generally upset or happy when you know with what with depending on what they're doing or depending on how they feel over the last week ever since my schedule has changed and I've taken less shifts this entire week I was looking forward to seeing them on Friday I've never had that with any part, any kind of job ever. I've never looked forward to a day when I worked or whatever the fuck. It's never happened. Um, Because you watched Roma with them. That's it. You showed them the film. <laughs> Absolutely. You got them together. You know, like, and, guys, sit down. and the day that I did have with them was kind of shitty. And I still loved it. It was kind of like a bad, it was a chaotic, crazy day. And, you know, some of them were having some attitude problems and all of that stuff. And I still, it's still like a joyous experience for me because I have this connection to them. So this idea that people are like, oh, the white rich family saved her, I think comes from a lot of ignorance to what the kind of relationships you make in childcare and how, and sometimes it can be unhealthy. There are times when I get so emotionally involved with my kids like like if they're being if they're not showing me the uh, you know a ton of respect or if they're having kind of a rough day i sometimes that can affect me and i can i can lose sight that this is a job and i'm not their parents and it's hard to maintain that level of distance and with her it's almost impossible because she is like another parent for them yes i mean but, do we see how infrequently the dad is around <laughs> right, exactly. So it's, she's more than so. Parent. This idea that 
it's some like savior trope because that the the that the family comforts her i think is insanely ridiculous and is read in horribly bad faith i think that's a horribly bad faith way to take that and i just and this is i i strongly fucking believe this because i think that is completely losing sight of what a relationship with a child can be and lo- and lose sight of what ki- of kind of the joy or the connection or the codependency you have in that relationship. Mm-hmm. So to say to to feel like oh it ends with her being saved by them, I I, I one I think that's a fucking simplistic way to view a complex and nuanced situation such as the one that she's been through. I also think it's fucking bullshit because that is just that's just how that goes. That's how you we I think most people. Like even like just physiologically, you have a connection to kids. You have, you do because there is because you know it, when you go back, get back to like fucking human evolution, you know our whole bodies are programmed to you know, uh, you know reproduce and to protect, and protect our you know our our kids. That's it, it's physiologically within us. So to feel like it's unrealistic or it's this it's this you know schmaltzy happy ending just because she finds comfort with her with the relationships between the kids she looks over i think is horribly cynical and fucking bullshit um and i I, i'm sorry to get super like no please that's just that's the (laughs) stuff I have problems with I have problems with this movie in uh, in a more like particular sense with when it comes to like I, I think sometimes it can be too heavy handed, um, like the visual metaphors of the earthquake with the kid like you know earthquake and then the debris on the baby. Um, oh, uh, it's definitely know, it's definitely um, earnest. It's definitely earnest. But yeah, um, and my, then her yeah. like balance ba- being the only one who can balance it, it's the stuff like that and like you know the dude singing uh during like the fire. the fire those are the moments where i'm kind of pulled out of it and i'm like okay all right i i understand alfonso uh, yeah no i get it thank you thank you alfonso thank you thank you so much um and, and then i'm kind of pulled back in but those are the moments that lose seem for me but the core of it and the ending i i, I do think it's completely earned because i I, I just I, I I I know a fraction of what she's feeling in that moment. And so so I can even to even imagine the, the connection she has with those kids is it's in, it's out of this fucking world. So uh, I, and I think people undervalue that and they think it's all movie magic or some bullshit. Uh, fucking take care of a kid uh, three days a week or whatever for like three hours. I- I don't You'll mean be to put a so attached to them. I don't mean to put a band-aid on on that take. I, I surely won't. Um you I can, mean, can I quickly can't. just like add I, something on Clay's point though? Just very quickly. Oh, yeah, yeah, please. That, please. Um Clay's talking about childcare and his relationship. And I do think it's interesting that um Yelitsa uh she before she preschool. acted in yeah. Roma, she was a preschool yeah, teacher. Yes, and I yes. and I and I feel like that's, that's right. not nothing in the movie thinking about it so i mean interesting you know parallels there but yes jack mm. no i was i was thinking like of course from minute one roma is a sensation wins golden lion uh in uh when is it uh september 
And then all the way to the following March, it's just everywhere. And it's just the center of the conversation. It's a front runner for best picture. It's a lot for, for international. And I'm just, and I'm just thinking like the conversation, even to like the most minute degree is then just whittled down to where it's just like we get to the beach scene is that and then it's like this is now our takeaway but it's because it's talked about for so long it's like this is all we can pull from it it that's also adding to the bs if that makes any you know i do think it's fair on claire's point about how i mean he uses the word heavy-handed i probably wouldn't use that word but i do agree with his general thoughts although i as somebody who is also very um earnest it, it does work for me, but I did think mm. watching this back how there is a literary element of this movie where it's so like filled with like metaphors and like um, you know like uh, foreshadowing and in the sensory details. Too, and, and, I made, and I made a note like of that scene stick. Clay mentions where um, after Cleo goes to the doctor and confirms she's pregnant, she goes to see the newborn and then an earthquake, and she's watching and there's a baby there on the debris. But I also, one thing that I wrote down is that after Cleo tells Sophie that she's pregnant, um, Pepe, who is the youngest child, is clearly Cleo's favorite, or is at least idolizes her. Um, he says, he comes and says, why is Cleo crying? And Sophie says, oh, she's, she has a stomachache. Stomach and he, and sa- he, rubs and he stomach. says, pain, pain, go away. I don't want this pain to stay. And I think, oh my God, what? That is like... Knowing that she loses the baby eventually, that she doesn't want this baby, it it, mm. it, it is it, it is like Quran being like so like it's like so deliberate. I'm like, oh god, it, it it's it like it, it just made me like like having seen the movie because without having seen it before, not knowing where it's going, that line doesn't mean anything. But then yeah, having seen yeah, it before, like knowing what's going on, it, it just feels like so loaded in a way. And there's so many moments like that where. Like, I hate people say, you know, this movie better on a rewatch because I feel like the movie needs to just be good on its own. Like, I, yeah, I don't, I, yeah. I'm not against rewatching stuff, but I, I do think when people say, you know, this movie better on a rewatch, it's kind of making excuses for the movie being abstruse. Mm. I'm not, a, I like, if a movie doesn't work once, I don't think that we should, it's be not gonna work your second time. We should be compelled mm. to, like, you know, rewatch it. But I do think that, I don't think Rome is better on a rewatch, but I do think that there are things in it that aren't discernible the first time you watch it because of how mm. Quran does it. And so there are a lot of clues in there. Like even with the dad leaving, there's an early scene that kind of tells us that. And mm-hmm. we, we don't really know what's going on because yeah. first yeah. there's a scene where he leaves to go on his business trip in Quebec. And Sophia gives him this really like intense hug. And we're like, okay, what's her problem? He's just going away for a week. And then she takes her to the doctor. And while he was, doing her stuff she's talking to one of his colleagues about how we don't know what she's talking about but it's something about the husband not being around and it's a quality in Roma where we overhear so many conversations but we have no context for them and of course one of the important scenes of overhearing is when the eldest child Paco overhears his mom on the phone basically saying that dad has left them and Cleo's there saying you know Paco move from eavesdropping and then Sophie comes out and she gets livid and she like slapped him and she starts crying and you're like okay she slapped him I mean it's, it's like a movie trope you know and then immediately apologizes but then right. after she apologizes she, she also then screams at Cleo mm-hmm. so, it's, so it's not like you know right, 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 right. gets angry 
gets you know contrite she like you should have done something to prevent apologizes this. and and then she yeah. screamed at cleo and yeah. that scene is part of a recurring thing because she shouts at cleo and then the camera goes to yelitsa and it just lingers on her face yeah and i yeah. and i do think that yelitsa is key to this movie because her face is so it, it it's it's so hard to read there's so much going on there but she never gives away in the obvious ways what she's feeling mm. but it's always lingering on her face and so you know that this rather than you know her i think i remember a lot of people like talking about her as a passive character which yeah. i suppose i understand but i also think that knowing the context of being a domestic worker you have to turn yourself off and so in the end of the movie after Claire goes over the family and she saves the two children and we're like okay you know everything is wonderful and she comes back and she sees Tadella who's also an indigenous man and she says Tadella i have so much to tell you and you you immediately remember that oh yes that Cleo doesn't really confide in the family Adela is the person that gets her and Cleo knows that we we, we don't see her express you know you know no. anger at the family but it would be so out of place for her to do that it does it doesn't mean that Cleo herself doesn't think of herself or doesn't value herself but in the dynamic of the family like clay was saying koran reminds us of the four dynamics it's it's hard to watch the movie and not remember that she is just a maid for those people for mm. us she's more than that but for them she is a maid and i suppose like that clay's observing ob- observation of the bluntness sometimes Quran can have i guess that's my my interpretation is just what andrew said is the reminder oh yeah bluntness is a good word indeed yeah. but you know as a, but then again it's just like you know all these are synonyms right um and i just i do love that scene with with uh cleo and pepe as you brought up as another example of like i see you you see me kind of thing that they have um of course cleo isn't quite a parent but she's not <laughs> uh, like she's not a young like a kid either she's sort of in the yeah. middle of like figuring out yeah. her she's in her 20s yeah um and i love that moment when they when they play dead together because yes. it's really it's really like let's live in it's literally the film like let's live in this moment and it's those two characters like we just need to like we don't know like where we quite are in the family and i think it's like they really do under understand each other without verbally expressing it and i'm so glad you brought up that scene though um Chad, because i think it's one of the scenes people remember as you know the child version i mean it's not in the movie very often but if you like step back from the scene it, it seems like really nice you know sweet moment of them playing but then the last word cleo says in that scene is i, I like being dead mm-hmm. and, and and that's that's not of course the child with her doesn't get the sense of what she means but this is like maybe 10 minutes into the movie and you think to yourself oh shit that's that's that feels loaded like like she clearly is not living her best life she doesn't like express it but clearly it's just not like some happy idyllic thing and i think that there's too many moments like that where it's actually like actually this sucks <laughs> i actually mm. don't like this job but it's my only job so i'm gonna do yeah. the best as i can and i think that again it comes back to that unease that ambivalence where it's like you want Claire to be happy with them but you also know that she's never going to be all that she can be with them 
And I just want to be like really annoying and like read this bit from the script. It's after the very last scene. And so there's this running theme in the movie where Pepe the young boy keeps telling Clay of his past lives. Um, when, when, he was, when, he, when he was older, like he, he used to be a sailor, he used to be a, a pilot. And planes are always around. We're always seeing yes. planes in the movie. And the very end of mm. the film, as Clay mentioned, is Cleo ascending to go do the laundry. But the way it's written, the script, I think is so interesting. So this is what he writes. He says, Cleo comes out of the kitchen, carrying a load of dirty laundry, and crosses the tiny patio to go up the metal staircase that leads to the roof. Her steps reverberate throughout the bony structure in a metallic moan that echoes through the tiny patio. Cleo reaches the step in front of her room and keeps walking upwards. A sweet potato vendor lets out his sad howl in the distance. Step by step, Cleo ascends. Yet further up beyond the roof, the sky is pure. And that's the end of that. And I love reading scripts because I, you, you, you can never like get a sense of like stage directions. Or I mean, in this case, some directions in like watching a movie. Mm-hmm. But in watching Roma, because that last scene, we, we stay on that all through the credits. It's just like, it, we're just there watching this like ear. And I kept thinking that in a way, that last scene is the closest Cleo comes to like having time for herself. You know, it's like, it's like, at, at she's, because I think the sense people misconstrue with that saving scene is that she's part of the family now, but she's not a part of the family. She's still Cleo's maid. And so this scene of her going up, up there, up, 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 and like you kind of have her like parallel with the plane moving over the sky. It's like, oh, if only she could really ascend, actually, because they don't. Yes, they don't. They don't deserve her. I mean, they're not terrible people, but they don't deserve her. They don't get her, and she's always going to be isolated in a way. I don't think for me the beach scene plays as anything too, um, too broad in comparison to the rest of the film's scope. I think it just it shows it as yes, a a pretty stressful climax in the sense of the film, but in the way that it's like framed, I, I don't, I don't think it feels out of, out of place or anything that's, that's separated, at least in, in the eyes of, um, of Cleo. Cause it's just an event that happened in, especially Pepe's life. Right. It's right. A movie that of course I think is looming large ahead of, of Roma is the Fablemans. And a scene that comes to mind <laughs> is when um, um, Mitzi drives all the kids to see the the hurricane or the uh, the tornado, um, and it's and it, that is something that comes in the beginning of the film, and it's like this is just something that my mom did, where it's like not really <laughs> yeah. addressed or brought yeah. into question, and it, and it, and also sort of like those two parallel in that in like. Cleo saved us, right? Where, where it's just like we were gonna drown, and then we didn't because our maid was there to bring us out of the water. Um, well, and I think not to, but not to, not to. Of course, I'm not trying to simplify or anything. It's just yeah, right, right, right. But I like I was thinking as you were saying that though, which is there's the unanswered, well, not even unanswered. There's the unasked question that rejoins that. Like, so Cleo saved us, but who the fuck is saving Cleo? 
Mm. Not this family. No. No one. No one. No one. Yeah. Not, not God forbid, not even uh what's the lover's name? Fermi. Um, no, Fermi. Raimi. Yeah. 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 And not the not the government, Fermin. not society. Uh, yeah. Um I it's kind of two thoughts there. Um, I, it, the thing with the Fablemans, that's interesting. I, I think it's like, like um, I didn't know that his whole, that Quran's whole idea was that this was a memory. That's why it's in digital black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, and ooh, sub sub thought. Did y'all have a hard time wa- watching this on your, I don't know if y'all watch it on your TV. I watched it on mine and the, and I have, you know, I have like a decent 4k and like, it has like all these different settings or whatever. And I'm not super smart enough to figure out exactly what all the settings mean. I do have, but there's like some, some settings where it like, it'll like auto contrast or whatever to like, make sure it has like maximum color dynamics or whatever the fuck. Did you turn off motion smoothing? I'm not an amateur. <laughs> uh, they had motion smoothing. We were watching, uh, speaking of, man, I have like seven tangents right now. Um, we uh, in uh, the after school program I teach, they were put on some cartoons yesterday and they had motion smoothing on for like a Mickey Mouse cartoon. And I was almost like, someone give me the remote. But I, I had to restrain myself. Um, but yeah, for some reason, my TV, it like the color, the, you know, the um, color tone just kept changing in and out. It was getting lighter and darker, lighter and darker with the and it's never really happened with any other movie before. It's like literally just this. Um I don't know if anyone else had that problem because no, I was yeah, I was running. I don't know. Good. I I had to change the settings like five different times to figure out like Weird. why it would stop changing. It it was huh. interesting. Well, um, I, I watched it on two times speed. Maybe no, that just that's <laughs> um. <laughs> but with the Fablemans thing, like you, so like Kron, he's trying to shoot this <laughs> as a memory. What does our memories contain? What's like the what our shared experiences? That moment that you know you your you know your mom or your dad or whatever you know piled the kids in a car and went to go see something dope those are the things that come to your mind it's those you know shared experiences experiences you have with others when you went to go to you know christmas and see all your crazy uncles or whatever and your aunts shooting pistols for some reason i I still don't understand that dynamic um and like all these different like those are the things that pop out in your memory it isn't you know like what the school or whatever it's like shared experiences so that's so that's interesting with the connection to fablemans um mm-hmm. and like how people me- remember their childhoods because that's people remembering his this is grown remembering his childhood um and the and then the third thought was um andrew mentioned earlier uh well, you know andrew you talked a little bit about like how um Cleo's, you know, indigenous roots connect to the film with, you know, you know, whether it's uh, the language she speaks or um, uh, the way she talks about her village. There's a really interesting line that I I completely missed the first time I watched it. And I know that for a fact, because if I, it really would have stand out to me if I if I if I caught it. So. I forget exactly when this when the movie this happens, but, you know, like she's like more pregnant now. Um, and she's at home. She's uh, with her friend in the kitchen doing something. And, you know, she's like, you know, her belly is showing and the friend talks about, hey, so they're removing people in, in our village from their land. Your mom's mm-hmm. like land is being taken. 
And she and you know, Cleo's like, well, what do you want me? What, what, what can I do about it? He's like, you can go see her. And, and then she responds, see her like this. This, like this. Like yeah. this. And that and that really just I think that's those are the lines and those are the moments, like you said, Andrew, that the most telling moments of her character are when she is with, whether it be people of the same class or the same um uh, ethnic background. It's like those are different person exactly she's funny she's sarcastic she does races angry she's you know like that's not the cleo with the family and we do have those moments like there's a first early one where um soon after the opening sequence where she and adela are like exercising and they're gossiping about um sophia's mom spying on them it's the first moment where like you can breathe in a movie and they're 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 like oh yeah, she probably is checking how much light we use and it's it's a tiny moment but like you're saying there's so many tiny moments where we see cleo differently that we have to think oh she isn't that you know reticent person this is just what she's performing for her job and i mean haven't we all been there <laughs> you know the performance of you know professionalism it's just her professional space is also a personal space so it's like how do you become professional at your job when your job is domestic work (laughs) right Mm. right right and also goes into that cultural a cultural anxiety i mean at any time in any country with a woman having um you know a a pregnancy with uh the father as absent that idea of shame that is put on to those women in term in you know in the, you know the seventies fucking even now at pretty much any era in conceivable human history, um, and her not even feeling like she can go back to her mom, and so the idea that um the fam so it kind of goes back to the idea of like how the fuck is this family saving her. They're they're not going to change that. Nothing is going to change that. That's like I mean, I, well, I mean, like obviously in the end she's not pregnant, but that that idea, that struggle she has, that fucking trauma. It's like that's no one's saving you from that. Like, and I don't, do and I just, think... I can't believe the film thinks that as well. I just don't see it. Do you ever think though, like, what would have happened if she got that baby? <laughs> <laughs> like right like that's a can of worms i do remember though the first time i watched this i was so stressed out in that last sequence because i kept thinking Puran, if you fucking make her die saving these fucking children i am right. so fucking pissed right that would be <laughs> like, that would have been a different movie i was so i was so like worried watching it I, I can still remember the first time the anxiety thinking oh my god if you can sort of see the plants being seeded <laughs> yes. or the yeah so like i was uh, i was i was like oh my god like is, she, is he gonna have angular <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> now that would be if in a recent <laughs> movie <laughs> for listening yeah. i actually love in a i know he's not loved these days but i think he's pretty fucking great too very different person very different <laughs> but yeah um i think this yes this point is yes. really um really important on that context which is again and i mean like i said i'm not a missionary about my taste so 
I wouldn't try to convince anybody this is a great movie. I know it is, and that's enough. But right. I do know. And you know, that, you're objectively right. Of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do think, I mean, like, I am willing to concede a thousand times over that it demands your patience. It does. Like, if you don't yeah. pay attention, it, it, and, and that doesn't work for everyone. And I get that. And I can't but, remember if they brought up this idea already. Um, it's uh, the Netflix, you know, inadvertently having it on their streaming service where it's like you can do other things, like you can watch oh, on let's, your phone, let's you get can into, like, let's get into that, the Netflix like, dynamic of that. It de- yeah, man. Like it doesn't demand your concentration in the way that, you know, so like, like, a, I, like I a don't green know book. Because like you I can go to much... theaters and like it's it's interesting. I don't know how much you guys are like um more like locked into like I hate the word discourse, but the conversation <laughs> and like awards at the time. But if you Well, I was gonna bring that you, up too, because they But if you don't know, but like Roma was the, was to this day, it's still the biggest budget for advertising in the Netflix movie. Yeah. And that was like... also one of the backlashes that happened. It's so funny. Yeah. Because Green Book actually became an example of a little movie versus Rome, which is a huge movie. Yeah. And it's like, and when you think, it's when you crazy. actually watch Roma, you're like, how is Roma like the giant, the Goliath in this race? <laughs> like, I mean, it's a movie about a maid. Like, I mean, it's it's not yeah. some, you know, but like, I, but I, and like, I don't, like, I think it's pointless to like hate entities because they're not real. They're just concepts. So like me saying, like, when people are like, oh, you know, I fucking hate Netflix. And I know many people, who I respect do say that like they say oh you know they don't have the best interest of movies but which fucking studio does right studios like all studios are fucking craven Netflix is just obviously that way but like the idea somebody can be like oh you know Netflix is a terrible studio but like Neon loves their movies it's a fucking business it's a fucking and I mean the thing about Netflix is, is that they were too involved. So they sent out these like six pound like tabletop books on Roma. They spent, I think, it's it was anyway, $25 million dollars from what I saw. So like $50 million on the on the thing. And yeah. and that was yeah. also backlash. People were like, oh, 15 you know. million on the movie. They yes. were like, oh, you know, they're like, oh fuck, fuck Netflix and them trying to like force us to like this movie. And it's like when you think of really get down to it, awards, in case we all did not know this already, are not about merit it's it's a game it is a game and so persons voting against Roma are also voting against Netflix not just because of the streaming thing but because of how like officious they were like they were really aggressive and the thing is the reason that I don't mind that is like I mean isn't it fucking great that a fucking non-English movie is getting that push yeah I mean I don't think Netflix is some like at the end of the day angel in this thing but like you know what? If Roma is gonna be the movie that gets like a really fucking aggressive push, then better that than some like you know movie anyone could have made. You know, like yeah. it I, that I think means something. The very first That's Netflix true. film to get off, great choice of words, um, to that level was <laughs> this you know tiny Spanish movie, and I and I yeah. and that for me is somebody who loves thinking about world cinema and international work, I, I do think that that is something important. And whether or not people like rejected that, I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. If Netflix was going to really aggressively 
campaign for best picture for arguably the first time it's nice that it was Alfonso Cron's blank check because yeah. it could you're right that it could have been anything but the fact that it was this their Oscar campaign doubled in the film's budget um there that that they try that for this these past five years yet it's it's it, it, you're right that is this interesting contradiction that they've been filmmaker driven to where people can go to them and get their projects funded and made where no our their statement is that no other studio would want to um but in the in the case of making their money back yet it's like they so clearly want best picture still yeah of course because they want the notoriety yeah they the thing about it is that like i I don't think any studio is a good studio, but one reason that I find myself, I suppose, defending Netflix, and Roma is at the center of that in an oblique kind of way, is that films, like I live in Guyana, which does not have like, you know, repertory theaters or like independent cinemas. We have two blockbuster cinemas. Um, and because we have a very large Indian population or like descendants of Indian immigrants from like 20 years ago we will show like Bollywood movies sometimes in cinema but that's it you're not seeing any non-English film in the cinema that's not a Bollywood blockbuster and so why I've always found myself a little bit thankful for Netflix approach like I wouldn't say I love them because fuck studios but if you think about it really like if Roma were a cinema release only when the fuck were all these tiny Latin American countries going to be able to see that movie? Not anytime fucking soon. And so I've always liked the fact, and it's one reason I've hated that Netflix recently has been like making their movies play in cinemas for like a month before they get on Netflix. Because, it's, because for me, it's, it comes back to like my gripe with criticism, which is that it's just Western-centered. All the access is for persons who live in a, in a metropolitan area. If you live in New York or LA or London, you get everything first. And then, which means that everybody who sees the thing are from one particular place. And I am so grateful that anybody could have watched Rome when it came out in November. It, it, it wasn't just, I mean, who knows what circumstances they side under. Maybe that's another kind of worm. But the fact that there was this access felt important and felt meaningful in a way that for me has always made me a little grateful for that you know because other than like for someone like me other than when i go to festivals in the fall and like try to like carve in as much movies that won't come out in cinemas in my country for months if ever it's it, it allows like i can like tell a friend oh watch roma netflix and they don't have to be like well i'm not fine out of the country i'm not gonna see that anytime soon unless you know we pirate it or something and I don't think people understand the dynamics of not being in a major city. And I'm not just a major city, like a, a country that offers that. And so I don't, I'm not apologizing for Netflix because I mean, they have their fucking issues, but at least they, they give that to people. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I know that like an indigenous person like Cleo, who doesn't live near a big city, can like log on to their laptop and watch this movie. Right. And that's, and I think that context I think that's brilliantly put because I think that context is lot lost a lot. I think they're in the limelight and their business pra- business practices are more um, 
publicized and so obviously you're they're gonna get more criticism as they should um but like you said they are just another you know capitalist you know disgusting capitalist studio just like every other major studio in um filmmaking right now but that idea of it's interesting because now i'm just thinking yeah it's like any person who talks and I, I want to be careful how I say this because I don't want to make any generalizations, but <laughs> we may there want are these people on this podcast. <laughs> right. Right. Well, no, I just, I want to just be like, okay. Yes. People. Yes. I know people who don't necessarily live in New York have criticized Netflix. I under, I understand, but you know, I live in Portland, Oregon. There's a lot there, you know, we don't have like a, a shit ton of independent theaters, but we got a real good chunk of them. Um, you know, it's like you know, all, but everyone, all these critics, because they live, because usually for them to work, they usually have to live in a, you know, popular city. Like I, I, I there's some critics who who are, have been able to figure out a way to not necessarily can like work in you know Kansas City, Missouri, or whatever. I don't know, but it's still usually critics are near metropolitan hubs. And so it is that idea of them, of people not necessarily recognizing what they have at their disposal when they can just say, I wish Netflix didn't exist. And I understand that that's, I understand that there are reasons that some people feel that way. And I think maybe some of that can be valid, but there is that lack of understanding of basically, and like you said, Western centric, I think that's the perfect way to put it people i think we always just like to forget that you know there's people and there's other people in the world who watch movies and like movies it's one of those things that I, I i feel like a lot of people in the film space forget that just because like you don't have to live in new york city to love movies or you don't have to live in portland oregon or seattle or austin or whatever to just love movies. There are people who love movies where they can't, like they have to drive two hours to their nearest theater uh, to see something. And to and I'm not saying that means you should stop criticizing Netflix, but if you ignore that, I don't know how we can take you seriously. Like when can you get, when, like if you don't understand that context and understand what that service actually does, and you're just saying, I wish Netflix would burn to the ground. Um, you gotta like it's just one of those things where context is yeah, just context. I mean, because to, to your point, Claire, like I I can actually get annoyed at Netflix. Like when, for example, a person say you know Netflix doesn't have enough old movies, I'm right there with them because knowing the power that they could have, they are very often very cavalier about um what they could do. So I mean, there are enough reasons to hate Netflix without ignoring the good thing that they may be able to do. And comics is everything because like, indeed, their classic slate is awful. And for someone like me, who I think I've mentioned it before online, because I remember there was, years ago, there was a big drama about like piracy in movies. And I think I said quite openly that for someone living in Ghana who got into movies, I got into movies through piracy. I mean, Arrest me. I mean, I, I am in the U.S. right now, so maybe this is a bad thing to say aloud. Um, but, um... <laughs> Statue limitations. We still have that. <laughs> but like, I mean, I couldn't like, I couldn't like, you know, go to a rep theater or somewhere and like see, you know, 
Catherine Hepburn movies or Manelli movies or like, like that wasn't an access for me. Like, like, and I, I think of myself now, like if I were a child now, I could see stuff like I remember, like I there like in the twenty in the two thousands, like I was watching those award movies on fucking, you know, when people would leak those screeners online because they just weren't accessible to me. That is the lived experience for someone who doesn't live near. I mean, even if, for example, like you could say, okay, like the US is quite large, you know, people drive for hours, but I am in a very tiny country. It's not like I can drive anywhere and get this, you know, like that, it's just not an option. And I and I think that that kind of context is also one of the reasons that the world of criticism is so limited because only certain mm. people are going to, you know, hitch their star to this because they are, there's no space for them there. And I mean, I don't want to get on like my high hearts and like, you know, be all, oh, woe is me. But I do think that context is important. And like, I'm remembering this, I don't want to do like a call out. And by saying the name of this, it will, you can like Google, you would probably Google it. But I remember there was an essay about Roma talking about it as poverty porn. And I'll be honest, it really fucking pissed me off. Because that was also the people were like really fucking jizzing over like the Florida project or whatever. And I and I and I and I think is it that you have a problem with poverty porn or what what were I mean like calling Roma poverty porn is I think insensible. But also is it that you're not able to deal with the difficult emotions someone's asking of you? Because the film isn't giving you any answers. It's leaving you to grapple with it. And, and that, in a way, is hard. It's hard when a movie challenges you like that. But, um, uh, no, it wasn't. But um, uh, it, it was, um, I, I just, I, I remember there were a number of pieces out. Like, there's some people that I kind of, I mean, like, I think it was, online spaces as a way of curating a good time for yourself so like if somebody just books not just i just like need them no hard feelings but like i mean right exactly why would i want to go online and see things make me annoyed life like, is I, life is short like i that's <laughs> I, I think people need to be okay with people yeah, needing, yeah. even and, if and, i like you i don't necessarily yeah. want to hear your tweets so like my issue is not i do that to play like all the time True. <laughs> my issue isn't people don't like Roma because like I said like I always mention this and be like why are you talking about me but like one of my closest friends is a film critic and theater critic called Jose Solis and we have this running mm-hmm. joke with us because he hates my favorite movie of all time The English Patient but like but like it does but like we have such a rapport because I know he's not coming from a place of like disingenuousness or like cynicism he just doesn't like it and the story he's not gonna go out and like make some like bold like ridiculous claim to like really hit it home so it's not that people don't like Roma it's that I feel like people are unwilling to take it for what it is and I just find that frustrating in our field like you have to take a movie as it is I mean like obviously we'll all project our own understanding and lived experience into the movie but you have to take the movie as it is and towards the idea of the film as a memory. One reason that I've always bristled at it being like um, aligned with, you know, like Belfast and um, Armageddon Time. And it, it's because if you, I mean, it, it is a memory film, but it also feels to me like a film of, I don't want to say contrition, but if you think of it as a memory film, the memories are not his memories. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it, 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 what Roma feels like to me is what adult Quran sees that the child's version didn't see. Because it's, it's like, it, and it's funny because um, we were having a conversation before we started recording about how children see things when they're young, but they don't really get it. And I do think that the children in that world would have seen things that they didn't really get. And now as an adult, understanding culture and like context, I feel like adult Quran is now kind of like saying, actually, you know, this woman that I adored and looked up to wasn't super happy. She wasn't living this life of perfection. And, 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 and so for me, like there is this like level of I, I don't, guilt is perhaps too strong a word, but there is this kind of like reassessment where it is a memory, but it's not the traditional memory. It's not him saying, oh, my life is fucking awesome because he is not the center. It's him looking at things that he would never have seen as a child, but now mm-hmm. he can be like, oh, that, that really was kind of fucked up actually. And, and for me, that, that's so ambitious. I, I don't, mean, yeah. <laughs> you bring up Armageddon time as an example. Um, and I think that one is doing something almost in, re- in reverse in how it's taking the the James Gray stand-in reassessing his parents and not so much like the guardian figure reassessing yeah the the the, uh, the director stand-in in, and also that one obviously putting it in a cultural context different setting you know but it's but it's like those the shoes are in a different beat in in that film um and and with and i think it's so it's so I, I think with just this rewatch it's it's pretty crazy how much i uh i grew to love ulysses aparicio's performance even more um i i think throughout that i mean not to shift gears too much i just because because that perspective is key to understanding the film it's just throughout the awards race you just remember that she's she's in best actress and it was almost like a oh well you know they really liked the movie this time around i'm like wow she's really fucking good and earned that that spot in best actress right it's not just to like i'm happy to her be first spot. role and she gets nominated for an exactly. oscar yeah that's yeah. and she's doing I, a lot of she's up there with glenn close melissa mccarthy lady gaga and olivia coleman right like big yeah. millionaires well right, yeah I, I mean, exactly even though i said i haven't watched the oscars since and like it's, i don't hate the oscars like i've like i mean to you just have like stuff you said better to do if, no you have stuff to better to do with your time. my point about like getting to know movies like i got to love movies through the oscars so like i will always love them that way like mm-hmm. i when i was younger i <laughs> i used to that's why i know so much trivia i used to just like print out all the oscar winners and all nominees just like memorize them and like seek out the nominees to watch them and that was how i got into movies so i'll always love them as like a zeitgeist representation even though we don't align they're they're like a friend that i have who has the questionable taste like <laughs> like, like i don't think of them as like 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 a figure of like you know malice they're just like Oscars you know, is a person to you yeah they're, they're, they're just like they're like they're like <laughs> I, I i check in on them and i'm like oh god what are you thinking my guy there's that best friend like... <laughs> in childhood that you love and you will ne- that will always be a part of you but you also are like I mean, come on, man. Like, yeah, yeah, what can you get do it together? About it, you so, know. like, in the point, like, I, I always think of award season. Like, there, there, there's the toxicity of online, but there's also a lot of joy there. Like, I always remember Judy Dench in her Oscar speech saying that the best part of 
being Namib is, is, the, is the journey. Like you go on all these like meetings and you meet all these people. And like, I love like watching Yelitsa with the other actors. Like, like there, there's so many, like there's this nice picture of her with Jen Close and like she's hugging her. And like, I, I it, it just felt like, I mean, like the fact that this indigenous woman is getting an Oscar nomination and there was this big controversy at the time in Mexico because they didn't nominate her for a Mexican award. And, wow. they, and and it was like, seriously? Because like I like people just don't understand the context of what it is like to be indigenous in Latin America. It's true. Like this is this is not nothing. And so I found myself being reminded of all of my pet peeves. One reason I, I kind of like stepped back from Twitter because I don't want to like annoy myself <laughs> but i remember when right. black panther black panther kind of forever came out there was this like ground swell of like excitement that Tanakuerta was in it and he's playing an indigenous character and like you know he's so hot and like you know like masterful and like he's playing this like superhero and i saw not one a few person kind of mention you know like they didn't name rome but it was like oh you know like it's so great to see uh indigenous person playing not, not like a maid or like a servant and I'll, it kind of pissed me off. It kind of fucking pissed me off. I mean, not the, like I mean, I have like no beef with uh Tanahuarta, but I, it's like it's such a simplistic way of thinking about what movies are and what movies can be. There, there are genuine women from that era who were invisible. You know, like like this is this does mean something. The fact that you know Yelitsa wins her first nomination for playing a maid isn't a reflection of her being a maid. And, and even more than that, what the fuck is wrong with being a maid anyways? Mm. Like, I mean, so are you saying that people who are maids aren't important, aren't valuable? Like, I mean, it, like I feel like if you're not willing to examine what saying that means, maybe just like don't even bring that up. Because if we're going to say that we should never show people who are disenfranchised in poorness or isolation, then what are you saying about the world then? It's a, it's a weird one. It's, it's weird. Yeah. I, 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 and it's just one of those things where no matter what the conversation is, if you're on Twitter and you're having that conversation with someone, it just feels like at some point you're like, there's probably a better way we could do this. Yeah, that's like that's great for thoughtful debates. <laughs> exactly. That's that, that's the thing. That's why I just don't really use Twitter for that anymore. Unless it's about like something as like, I love basketball, but art is way more complicated to talk about. So, you know, I love I love basketball. It's a much more simplistic thing to talk about. So that's why I like those are the debates I have is about fucking basketball. So like that's that's the thing. That's what I take my time with, because I'll, because when any time I've ever gotten an argument about any piece of art on Twitter, at some point I'm like, OK, there's, there's this is one of the most useful, useless waste of time I've ever had. Like there's nothing is being accomplished by this. It's truly one of the worst platforms to, to talk about on talk about anything with any kind of true complexity or nuance and art lives in complexity nuance. So it is it is one of those things where I like I understand why people leave it or stop interacting in that way because that's what I've done. I've stayed on it. I still have a fun time on it, but I just re I've retooled my focus. Um, and not to make this podcast about Twitter, but it is that idea of that, like those conversations, though, 
unfortunately are happening or are happening the most on Twitter and now on TikTok. And now like it's like these important conversations we're having right now, which is one of the reason why I love this podcast, is that like these are the things that like anytime they come up in the you know the marketplace of ideas the you know the coliseum of true discourse or whatever it's all simplistic bullshit that is boiled down to a fucking lol or whatever like and not to sound like an old man but that's the thing it's like it, it becomes all it's not even that like i don't like the style of it i just think it's useless like it's i'm not even mad i'm just like this is why are we wasting our time with this it's not even like it's not even something I'm morally aghast at or morally against. It's just like, this is, I know you have something better to do with your time than this. Cause obviously this is, we're accomplishing nothing by this form of conversation. Marketplace um, of ideas sounds like an Aaron Sorkin line. No, I, I, I would bet my left fucking nut that that's comes up in the newsroom. There's someone says that in the newsroom. Oh, Marcus, no way. That phrase is like, um, it's a big thing in academia. So, like when you said that, mm. I was I was remembering discussions with like um, academics, which is the idea that like ideas are like um, it's like a capitalist view of ideas, which is that if there's a marketplace of ideas, the best will rise to the top, which we all know is not true. So the idea is that you know, like like all opinions get equal attention is like such bullshit. <laughs> exactly and that and that and, and I, i've heard people talk about social media that way before so that's that, that's not me creating a new thing yeah. but like yeah. it is but that's the thing that i always go back to because it is that moment of like um i don't know the stuff that get you know like you said the stuff that rises to the top is the bullshit and so and I, netflix I, rose this to the top because and i and like, i do think though that like with roma there. Because Yelitsa is a new actor, there was this willingness to conflate her with Cleo. Mm. And like, I, I, and like I, I saw something, I'm, I'm going to be as vague as possible. I read something last year because it's important to know that like Tenak Huerta and her are actually friends. So like, there's no like beef there. But I saw something talking about um, how assertive the Namor character is in uh, Wakanda Forever and Home in interviews, Tenok has been so like, you know, like, like assertive and like really kind of like plain spoken. And they and there was this piece I read, which kind of made mention of Yelitz and how she was so like um how like she was so like you know gracious and that she was so like pleasant as opposed to him. And I was like, this is uh it, it just I mean like I don't the person didn't mean anything ill by it. But, but what are really, we talking about this for? Like, what, it, what's it, the it, point? It just started making me think, like, you're talking about Cleo. You're not talking about Yelitsa. You're, talk, you're, you're talking about this idea of what you think this person is like. It's like, there are many ways to be revolutionary. The fact that some person is doing it differently doesn't mean that what they're doing is less valuable. Yeah, and, absolutely. you know, so it's, so it's, but I think, Again, it, it comes back to the questions of what we're willing to give the movies we watch. And I mean, you guys are doing a podcast on movies, and I think we can all agree that engaging with art, even what we might think of as bad art, it takes commitment. Mm. You, have to, you have to commit to it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, like, it's like if you 
And it's, it's, like, it's like if you try to ride a bike, but you try to ride it standing up. You're not using the bike the way it's supposed to be. So you're not going to get the experience of it. So unless you're willing to commit to the movie as it is, then you're not really going to get the movie. And you're, it's well within your right to say, you know, I don't want to watch that. But if you're going to come to the movie, come to the movie as the movie is. And if you're going to talk shit about it, or and when I mean talk shit, I mean like criticize it. I mean just talk at any point, like have any sort of discussion on it. Fucking like I don't know, man. It's so so many people who just bullshit, and it's like you didn't watch the movie, and you want us to think you actually like. When I mean watch, I mean actually understand, like just give your full, like you said, commitment to it. And so many people like to just watch something with while they're on their phone, and then try to speak about that. And I think that is. Uh, it's a very, and, you know, it's, it's all cynical and like all like social media stuff. And and I understand where it comes from. And I'm not saying this is like, this is the time to change everything. But there is a moment where I just wish people would kind of understand you don't have to talk about shit you don't know. Like we don't all have to speak on topics we're not comfortable with. If you didn't really pay attention to the movie or you don't feel like you can talk about it at length, then don't talk about it. It is okay. There's a thousand different subjects in the world we can talk about. If you don't feel like you can talk about that one fucking movie, then don't. You don't need all opinions. We can all sometimes be quiet. Who you who you really are. As a as a viewer, when uh, your your desire for a take to join the online discourse overrides your media comprehension and it's true. like i don't know but i think also the idea is that the thing about twitter is that and like any kind of um social media is that if you don't participate you feel like you're missing out or, mm. or like you're doing something wrong so FOMO. i mean like i, I don't even hold it against people but you feel a compulsion to weigh in on everything because you're like well exactly. everyone's talking about it so i have to say something too so i'll just i'll just say something it's true. So and 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 it's and it's hard to like snap out of that because you're like, well, everyone's talking about this thing. I haven't tweeted about it. It this becomes is... high school again. I've yeah. always, I've always, always, always believed that Twitter is high school. It's like it brings out the high schooler in all of us. It's all the high school drama that we grew up with or whatever. And obviously, people come yeah. from different backgrounds. I didn't have a regular high school experience. Exactly. Like but, plays the bully that shows me in the locker, like that kind absolutely. of absolutely. What? Yeah, I mean, what, every what time was your experience in high school. I mean, this is not podcast related, but what? No, I'll, I, I, I had some health issues, so a lot of it was like, uh, I, I was absent for a lot of it. I was put into different programs. Um, it was, I just didn't go to a regular high school. I, it was, um, yeah, it was a lot. I eventually just got my GED and didn't finish. Um, oh, but I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, but like, but I, but even with that non-typical high school experience i the the fucking atmosphere and the like fucking angst we all have when we're trying to talk about something or like the drama of like i heard that person said this and you know i don't agree and you know it's all these like everyone just becomes more immature i guess is what i'm trying to say and it all becomes heightened and it all becomes like i gotta speak on this even if i don't understand Mm -hmm. it it's when yeah. we're all it, we become stupid eighteen. Like that's when FOMO reaches its peak, arguably. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. It's like we're all eighteen-year-olds who lost all their brain cells because, like, by the way, eighteen-year-olds are stupid, 
and like they all there's never been a smart 18 year old not really um but like we're starting to lose track of like oh i'm an adult i can like not freak out or not just talk to talk i can like just be reasonable about things and and you know this we're kind of way off track but to point but but like yeah i think the discourse around this movie is like i wasn't super locked into it because i think that was before i really got into like film twitter and i hate that term because it's so obnoxious um but that the you know that that those discourses those ideas of like you know debating like film and stuff i wasn't super into that at that point and plus so i, I missed- don't think in 2018 film twitter is the shape that it is now this is true um but i i but at the same time these last three episodes roma being in glory fantastic woman i was locked in to what was happening more than the other oscar races this was just i mean it was i just can't shake the idea of of what um i think andrew brought up earlier that's just from from second one again it was the front runner and because of that it was just overly talked about in it and green and and analyzed yes um and also as you say the separation between cleo and aparizio um i mean it it always happens when the new actor comes out though it's like the same thing happened with gabri sidibe Everybody yeah, saw yes, her yes, yes, great comparison. You know, yeah. like she did, it was like, oh, that's who she is. And it's who's that? Who, who's she again? Dabri said a bit in Precious. Is Precious. Oh, yeah. so, a lot, yes. so that was her first major film. And a lot of people choose this. They like align who Precious is as a character with yeah. Dabri. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I suppose because of its, its um, dissection, it, I, I'm just, I have to emphasize again what we what Andrew said earlier like green book became the underdog <laughs> and it became kind not, of like and an this in al- this al- award like an alternate it, like, like something yes. lighter something less something less stressful something less yes you know it, it was an alternate but what that yeah. stress-free experience is you know debate you know we did we had our episode but it's but then it's one of the like, worst episodes we've ever done <laughs> one of the yes one of the worst films we ever covered but it's interesting to see that i that this movie is still good that it's like it didn't just get wrapped up in you know everything that was going on in the 2019 yeah. season um and one important thing which we haven't mentioned as yet because we were talking about awards is that this is only one of three time that a Latin American country has won best international film. Mm. It's the first time and the, the other two lot. times were for uh, Argentina. Yeah, a... it, I mean that's there have only been, I think, about maybe I think I wanna say late high twenties nominees from Latin American countries. This is one of nine nominations for Mexico and the only win. And the other two Latin American wins were Argentina. Oh no and Chile. So it's four. So Fandafa you saw Lilio's movie, Fantastic Woman. Um, the official story, like way back in the 80s, uh, I think that was the first Argentinian winner. Roma, of course. And I think The Secret in Their Eyes was mm-hmm. the yeah, Secret in Eyes. Yeah, that's right. one. That's, that's it. And that's not a lot. Like, this was also old. the best, the first best cinematography winner um, to win since uh, Schindler's List. It being in black and white 
which is like that's also oh, interesting cool. it's like that's yeah, interesting that is interesting yeah. um it's also the best foreign language film to win cinematography and foreign language um the others being Fanny and alexander cries and whispers crushing tiger and pan's labyrinth kind of cool um, yeah because of course roma was the first major director to do netflix mm-hmm Immediately after, there was Scorsese with Irishman. Then there's been yeah. Bambach with Marriage Story. There's yeah. been Tampion. David Fincher. Fincher. Uh, you know, so like, it did, I, 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 I wouldn't. And of course, Deerys before this, arguably. Yeah, of course, Deerys is the first name. major film. But of course, Deerys was an up-and-comer. I mean, that mm-hmm. sounds dismissive. Yeah. Deerys is fucking amazing. Um, mm-hmm. It's funny because, I mean, Mudbound was the first major Netflix thing. It got four Oscar nominations. The fir- and it, it broke some records. Like, Mary J. Blige was the first person to get an actor and song nomination in the same year. Um, it became the first... Um, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty sure that it became the first film by a woman to be nominated for Best Cinematography for Rachel Morrison. Yes, yeah. If you yeah, think yeah. about it, it is concerning. <laughs> <laughs> because Mudbound came out in 2017, and yes. it being the first time a woman was nominated for Best Cinematography is... I don't think it's a reflection of the Oscars, it's a reflection of the film industry. Like, I always say, like, when, like whenever, whenever people talk about, like, Oscars being problematic... I always say it's not the Oscars, it's the fucking industry. The, the problems are not the Oscars, the problems are the film industry. Like, it's like blaming the Oscars and ignoring the very, like, legitimate issues with the industry, I think is so odd. <laughs> so odd. Hmm. But what I was going to ask is, like, what has been your favorite? Netflix original film. Wow, man! Is it gonna be? He's all that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know the motion picture of 2020 that really stepped swept the nation. Uh, tall girl. Um, she's just she's so tall, you wouldn't believe it. Um, I've seen that fucking movie. What if I got dared by some friends? Steve Zahn's really good in it. That's it, though. It's horrible. (laughs) The funny thing about that is that for a very long time, I thought the tall girl and horse girl were the same movies. And (laughs) they're not. But they are both Netflix movies, aren't they? I think. Yes. So like, um, but you know, I also I also thought of uh, the kissing booth movies, which are also up there for me. Um, <laughs> also Netflix movies. Uh, no, I, I mean, I I uh, I guess a few that that I loved that that weren't really in the awards conversation that first came to mind. Um, Dick Johnson is dead. Kirsten Johnson's documentary. Oh, nice. Her dad faced more morality. Um, and uh private life um tamar jenkins uh, nice, um, nice romantic dramedy with um uh, Paul and uh Catherine Han. yeah yeah very good those are two that i love private life also uh same year as uh roma um yeah i'm sure there there are dozens i just yeah uh, Why mean, would you we've, we've covered high flying bird 
What Netflix originals have we done? Have you guys done Marriage Stories yet? No, but that that one we we will be doing. Soon, we haven't punched actually. the wall yet. No, we haven't punched the wall yet. <laughs> <laughs> I love Marriage Story. Yeah, that was and, and I and I do think it's another film. Like I don't think it's as great as one, but I do love it because it it's it's a five star movie for me. Uh, what do you think of White Noise? Um, I haven't, I haven't seen, seen it. it, and I have no oh. excuse because I know you're they, such a literary said, person. I but expect- they, and and they also sent me a screener. Um, yeah, weeks yeah, before I, I just and like I gave the like they sent some merch and I gave it away to a friend of mine and I'm like why am I not watching this I don't know but like <laughs> I've also been very busy over the last couple of months watching like I mentioned as many foreign films as possible so I think yeah. I'm I'm like movie out slightly what I, I would what was the original thoughts. question what was what that was favorite your favorite Netflix, Netflix original. So the night comes for us. The um oh right, we've covered that. Yeah, Timo, the Timo, um, Indonesian film. Um, that's up there. Um, they that had some a million years ago. Yeah, that's right. Right. I mean, Power yeah. of the Dog, of course. That one's you know. Well, I also wanted to mention something real quick. I don't know if there's anything to really talk about, but in the last four years, so last year the the movie with the most nominations, Power of the Dog. Mm-hmm. Movie before that, the most nominations, Mank. Mank. Yeah. Uh, 20, uh, you know, Joker was before that. But then in 2018, the most mo- the movie with the most nominations was a tie between Roma and The and Favorite. The favorite. Yes. favorite. Um, and even Irishman had a lot of Irishman kind of was up there. Yeah. yeah. yeah so, was- like, three out of the last four Oscars, Netflix had the most nominations. But, no- but of course, it's go- it goes None of them idea. won Best Picture. I- just, none of them won to- Best Picture. Yeah. So, just but to- it shows clearly that they're beloved by all, uh, um, like all sides of the crowd. It is rare, though, but- in this decade no, for the Best no. Picture to have the most nominations. It it's happens like absolutely three times. true. Yeah. And there's that winning combo, of course, that Coda and Moonlight pulled off of like original of like a screenplay win, supporting performance win, and and then picture. Yeah. I mean, not to say it's a winning combo, but it's certainly popular enough that it's happened multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. So like the King's Speech and um, and uh, fucking uh, Shape of Water are the only two that have had the most nominations and Mm. a winner. Interesting. Okay. I know. Hmm. Um, yeah, that if night comes for us is really good. Um, I don't know. There's other stuff that might pop into my head. Um Meyerwood stories we've also covered. That's right. Yeah, that's really solid. Yeah, really good. Uh high well, flying birds. Yeah. yeah, we talked about that already. Um I don't know, man. That's probably it. I I can't think of something that like pops into my head almost immediately because it's mm-hmm. not going to be like, yeah, it's like movies that came out in the last five years. It's like that's the thing when people are like, you don't really have many good movies. It's like they haven't been active for super long. Mm. And like, uh, you know, Beast No Nation, I thought was good when I first saw it, but it has been a bit since I've seen it. Mm. Um. And yeah, that's that's all that can come to mind. I mean, Roma's probably up there. Uh, I do want to say, and then we can maybe start wrapping up because we've been recording for a while. Um, Andrew's here. What do you? This is true. true. Literary expert of our our, of our time. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's it's fine because I was looking at my phone and I'm at like nine percent. So, oh, perfect. (laughs) We need a charger. Um, So, 
Yeah, no, I I do say my I loved Roma when I first saw it, it was my number one of the year until mm. you know and then time passed and you know I I, I think I saw I don't know when I saw you were never really here but that grew I I grew more fond of that and some other movies and then watching it this time around I just I do think there's just those moments where I get pulled out of the film that um that you know they're just. It's not as bad, but there are similar issues that I had with Fruitvale Station with the constant foreshadowing and like the moments of like when you're trying to go for realism in a way. You think that's a big trying to choose story thing? Oh, I don't know. I I think I mean, I mean, Roma is, of course, quite stylized, but it also feels like naturalism sometimes, which is a very bizarre thing. I love the nature stuff. I love the nature stuff. So I I get. I get place mine on that. It, it is, mm-hmm. but like it's also something I was thinking, which is that, and I mean, perhaps I'm just blinded by adoration, but I can't think of a movie to compare Roma to. Like, what's a movie mm. like Roma that exists? I don't know in the last five, ten, twenty years. Like, it's it's such of all time, even a distinctly yeah. its own thing. And I mean, that's not me saying it's the best movie of all time, but it is. It is so much its own creation, I think, in ways which I think does make it hard to like think about or talk about. Because so much of the discussion of it tries to compare to stuff that feels inorganic in a way. It and, and that's also that's where I have issues with people. Like I understand not liking this movie. I, there's aspects of this movie that I, I I dislike, and I understand that if there's other things that you might feel inauthentic or whatever. But the people who act like this is some run of the mill or pure indulgent or just like just, you know, it, nothing, nothing even remotely new. I, I do have an issue with that. It, I, it is like you said, its own thing. And people who act like it's some carbon copy or some like amalgamation of five different things, I, I think is a little disingenuous. It is very much its own project. You might disagree with the, you know, it is not, bitter, not, it, exactly. So, it, but it's just I do think that it is it's it it should have it should have some value in its individualism. I, yes. I, I completely agree. Because because like as much as there is bluntness, there are those moments of like very kind of elusive symbolism. Like when we get to, I mean, you know, if if we're leading into favorite scene, tell me. Um, yes. Yeah, uh, so sort sort of uh, like when. Um, uh, uh Cleo is is watching every all the the, the those the government I, I think the the people that are working for the government train at uh, yes. meditation and she closes her eyes everyone has their eyes closed and she strikes the pose but nobody can see that she's the only one striking it and that's nice that's like that's it. pretty like it's a nice piece of direction where it's like she can't see that she's being appreciated but no one else is seeing uh, that she can, right you know it's nice i like that um it's too cute i don't like okay, it okay well I, I don't i like you but but what do you what do you i i i think that's 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 nice to convey like what the movie is ultimately about when up to that point you've just seen these these mundane activities and and I, she's I, being the idea that it, it it's all it's just too it's I don't want to say it's too cute because that feels like I'm being um, uh, condescending. It's just a little. She's not like a world-class athlete. And I think that's fine. 
And I'm not saying you have to be a world class class athlete to be to do that move, but for her to be like the only one able to do it out of that, it just feels a little not tokenism, but like putting her on a pedestal that I feels inauthentic. I mean, I, I totally get what Clay's saying. It's just for me that makes sense in the framework of the movie because it is yeah. this tribute to the character, and I, I mean, like I get why that might feel a little overwrought because I mean, mm. like I said earlier, like there is an earnestness to this, which is hard to ignore. And I do think that even though it works for me, there is something really dangerous about the high wire act that Quran is doing in this movie. Like it's this true. could have gone so fucking wrong in so many ways. And I, and I, and I think for me, I always, I always love risk. Like um, when I was just getting into uh, writing with movies, I guess when I was your guy's age, like, like I'm <laughs> 20 years older than you. Um, I well, you're I wanted... like in your 60s now, I believe, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Uh, you're looking back on your glory. Early 60s. Yeah, but yeah. um, one of my favorite writers at the time, he doesn't write as much, but uh, Nick Davis, he's got this uh, black hole, Nick Flixbick, he's a professor also. And I, 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 I stole this thing from him, like when he would judge movies, he would not just give them a grade, he'd give them what he would call a VOR rating, which is V for value, O for originality, and R for risk. And I think it's just a really clever way of thinking about movies because like a movie might be a, a four-star movie, but it's not like risking much. It's not, it's not like, you know, and I, and I feel like Roma is a risky movie. Like this is a movie that's it's like, and people don't think of risk with quietness, mm. but the fact that it is so quiet, it, it, it is so restrained, it is so silly. Like, I mean, that is a risky thing, not just, in 2018 but generally like like it it's it, it's i mean i was thinking about this and i was like that is such an overall thing to say but i was thinking rewatching it this time about uh another movie cleo cleo from nine to five <laughs> um mm. which also has this kind of like anthropological like kind of like also in real in sort of like in real time yeah so like i i, I kept thinking structure. about the way that like even in that movie, like we spend so long trying to understand who Cleo is in that film, and in Roma's Cleo, it, it, it just it just feels so. It feels both super stylized but also super like natural in a way that that that's hard to explain. That's and and that, like you said, that's the tightrope, and I think it works most of the time. It's just there's these moments where I'm just like, oh no. Alfonso, Alfonso, ooh, let's, let's get back on the line. Let's get back on the line, buddy. We're I, like right, that you, we're, I like that you know him like he's a personal friend. Like, I don't know. I don't want to go. Hey, Quran, get back. No, Al, just like, Al, Alfonso. Well, I, Al, I, mean, I, mean, yeah. I wonder what, what do they call him as a shark name? Alfonso? AC. <laughs> I mean, AC money. really good, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to AC Green, Los Angeles Laker in the 80s. Great perm. Um, <laughs> I, my what do we favorite, say we get into favorite scene? Well, I was just going to say my favorite okay. scene. Um, this is what, what this is what we do. I, I give you the, uh, the the stairs, and now you're walking up it. Man, you really could have used a basketball analogy for that, but it's okay. Yeah. Oh, sorry, that's my dog. I don't know what his favorite scene is, but he's losing his mind. Okay, thanks, Cass. Um, my favorite scene. What's is all, what's be... Cass's favorite uh, Alfonso Cron movie? Gravity's a big gravity guy. And talk about and funny enough, you're talking about like risk versus quality. It's like. Prisoner of Azkaban 
man. All right. Uh, someone else go. My dog's okay. I, I have one. I have one. I can go. Um, I will say a scene that I really liked this time. I thought it was uh, very well staged and um, well written, well performed. And a scene that I don't think is talked about now or was talked about that much in the 2019 season um, when Sophia is telling the kids about their dad leaving them. It was not just a business trip. Uh, they went, he's just, he's gone. It's now just them. It's a, it's a very complex um uh just very nuanced scene of of like you know you kind of see where it's going like she's taking them out of the house they're getting ice cream out to dinner cleo's having a hard time you're with them right 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 right. yeah i mean it works it just it's just like and then they all start crying and then they all start crying yeah i like yeah and there's that sort of callback to uh that i saw some people note um why two mama time again that it's sort of like a similar setting um, yeah you're right it has similar lighting climax, too yeah interesting there's there's oh. interest i know people took note of that and it is a little cute it, like like clay says um that it's like the movie that uh for men and cleo go to see um oh shoot i wrote down what the movie is but um it's a little like gravity right uh, oh yeah that, right? oh, oh it's and, stranded like, or some shit right, yeah right, right. like the like there's like the birth scene that's all right children people need to like i get i get it but it's like i'm all <laughs> for criticizing overindulgence <laughs> once in a while but let's let's just know, let, know, let exactly. people direct know, their own fucking movie you know it's know. like they want to shout out something okay fuck <laughs> listen that's, i mean i, I mean listen so... hey one of your favorite films from last year ambulance look at look at you know the uh the self-referential oh yeah it, truly dialogue. one of the funniest yeah. that he references um, his own movies twice in the first 20 minutes it's a beautiful thing i, mean, I, I, I did i did a spit take yeah um I mean, but anyway I, so that i would say that the 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 family dinner is my my pick Su papá no va a volver a la casa. Vinimos aquí para que sacara sus cosas de la casa. ¿Qué cosas? Sus cosas. O lo que dice que son sus cosas. Su ropa, sus libros, sus libreros. No divorciar. Dice que no sabe. Ya no los quiere. Claro que los quiere. Mucho. Dice que los quiere ver. ¿Cuándo? Dice que no sabe. Que pronto. Va a haber muchos cambios. Pero estamos juntos. ¿Eh? Y va a ser una aventura. La próxima semana empieza un trabajo de tiempo completo en una editorial. ¿Una editorial? No. Pero si tú eres química. Ya lo sé, pero tu papá no ha mandado dinero. Y con lo de la prepa no alcanza. Pero me gustan los libros. La química nunca me gustó. Y va a ser otra aventura. Tenemos que estar muy juntos en esta nueva aventura. ¿Verdad, Cleo? Muy, muy juntitos. ¿Mi amor? Muy juntitos. ¿Puedo levantar? Los cuatro tenemos helados. De coco, de fresa, 
de vainilla, plátano y chongos. I actually like I'm struggling to think of a favorite scene. Like I like I want to say the scene where she gives birth, but calling it a favorite scene feels Yeah, that's the issue with some of these movies. Mor- we have to do Son of Saul and we Marvin? had to call it like, you know, we did Son of Saul and we were like, what's our favorite scene? It's like fuck, I don't know, man. Yeah. But um but I do like that scene, but I I love the entire sequence. Like it's not my favorite scene, is why I think I keep coming back to because it it just feels so important, but also so restrained. It's, it's when she goes off to Christmas. Um, mm. That entire sequence for me just feels important, especially in terms of what I made center said earlier, but the way that the home of the family feels like its own kind of like conclave. And then when they leave there, everything is different. And so like seeing Cleo in that environment, um, it, it just, it, it feels important it just it just feels like meaningful and great and great but um i don't know my favorite scene is any scene where we close upon Yelitsa's face and she gives us that weird like ambivalent smile and you think what is she thinking about like it, it just i just keep seeing images of her head of her face in my head and thinking i want to see more of her in something you know so yeah but i probably will say the given birth scene or the scene where um the New Year's scene, maybe the scene. I mean, like to to, to go completely off of plot. I suppose the scenes with Pepe, mm. yeah. Um, and so like for example, in that you know, like we mentioned earlier, that the scene where she saves them has kind of become like the image of the movie, like that shot. But my favorite part of that scene isn't even her saving them; it's just before she saves them. Pepe is sitting under the um, I think it's like the banner or whatnot, and she realized that the children aren't wrong and he starts going on when i was older i used to be a sailor like it, it, it's just it's just such like it's it's like a cute moment it's also I, I i just love the dynamic between them and i do love seeing her with those children it just feels so like profound and so important right. even as the parents are elsewhere and they're just like not involved but like cleo is there and she she gets them and I feel like that kind of tenderness is important, even amidst all of the other stuff. Yeah. Ya acabaron de comer sus tortitas, todos los que me gusta ver los cortos. Vamos. Entonces, ¿qué? ¿Vamos a entrar? 
Es que está muy bonito. Ajá, ajá, ira, ira, ira. Yo mejor me voy a los fritos. ¿Me cuentas, eh? Me cuentas. Vamos. ありがとうございました。¿Qué? ¿Entrenas diario? Tengo que. Le debo la vida a las artes marciales. Yo crecí con muchas carencias, ¿sabes? El chamaco, cuando mi mamá se murió, me llevaron a vivir en esa, allá con mi tía. Que entre que mis primos me madreaban, que las malas compañías, que empecé a tomar y que caí en el chemo, me andaba muriendo. Pero descubrí las artes marciales. Y todo tiene. ¿Foco? Así como cuando me miras. I'm having a heart. At first, the thing that popped into my mind was right after the New Year celebration, she's on this like hill and she's talking about her village and how this reminds her of her village. And I think that's one of the most profound moments of the film. It also gives so much context to her as a person and where she comes from, because you don't really learn much about like her village or her history or her family. You know, she has a mom, but that's really it. Um, So that moment's great. But I'm also now thinking like, when she wakes up the kids, oh, it's just uh, so, yeah. it's heart melting. Um, when she sings that song with the daughter before she goes to bed, those are, the, yeah, those are like the moments of the movie, man. Like those are the mm -hmm. Well, it's not moments. favorite moment. It's favorite I know, scene. I know, I know. Actually, uh -huh. like, I mean, I want to, I want to steal from Cliff. No, but honestly, this Cato, movie really Cato, is just filled because, with moments. No, because like, I, I really want to steal Cliff's suggestion because now I'm thinking that scene where she talked about the village he's like this is how it smells and it's one of the first it's not the first time but it's a really important time where cleo smiles mm. like it's, it's a real it's like a real Good smile Good it's a real smile she says I, she says she's like i think she's close right and she goes this is it's just like this this is how it smells and i'm actually like pulling up the screenplay here and i love this little note from Quran in the script he says cleo is somewhere else like like mm. like she's she like that moment she's she's not there anymore she's somewhere else and right. we're like and I think like I've been saying so much of the movie is that 
Cleo is there, but she really is not there because that's not Cleo. Yeah. See, those are the scenes, man, where I'm like, I don't see how she's a first time actress. I can understand like when you're interact when you're playing off of somebody, I feel I can see that being more like natural for people who are not familiar with acting but when you have to sell a moment like that it's a close-up for your face and you have to do something super like you have to you have to look like you're thinking about something it's not just that you're feeling this emotion you have to look like the gears in your head are turning and it's way she does that it's crazy she is so good um yeah, and also shout out to the some of the tr- long tracking shots. I think those mm-hmm. get a you know, the, and there's been we've I think we talked about this with um Son of Saul and how some of the issues with that and mm-hmm. you know with uh, in your in your e two and whatever you feel about that you know nineteen nineteen certainly has been dinged for it in the past. But I think these work here. I think because he employs them sparingly, and I mm-hmm. think he knows, and I, they feel natural to the moments of the film. So that while would I be think in my... gravity it feels unnatural. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, because they're in space. Um, Wait, what? Oh, that's right. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about, we were talking, we mentioned like, you know, what movies are good, but don't necessarily feel risky. I think Gravity and uh, Preserve Azkaban, which is what kind of what came, what was to my point earlier about why I like those movies, but they definitely don't feel mm. like his heart is in it. And not, again, that's not, that's just because those are topics that don't necessarily connect. Certainly that, that Preserve Azkaban is like, a job for hire sort of right right um but yeah that uh that's yeah, my that's uh, that about wraps up roma
God, let's go. What a what a what a what a picture of that'll certainly like I mean we talk about multiple of these winners and in their cultural footprint. This is certainly one that's like pretty undeniable. Um, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Let's real fast go to the other nominees and then we will wrap up. Um, also, Javier Bardem and Angela Bassett uh, presented. Alpha that's Bukong a fun with, pairing. Best uh, international feature. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's just like, why haven't they been in something together? Um, Angela Bassett, uh, I mean, any predictions, guys? Maybe wins a supporting actress Oscar this year for Marvel? Maybe. Movie? I don't know. Very, it's very possible. Know. At this time, we could be very right or very wrong. Let's see how this ages. Um, okay, here are the other nominees: Shoplifters uh, from Hazu uh, Corietta. Love his it. new film, Broker. Also fantastic. Haven't seen um, this. The you know dating this episode, uh, Never Look Away from Germany. Uh, oh Haven't boy. seen it. Florian Henkel von Donner Smark. Um, God bless you. That filmmaker is quite intense um cold war uh we discussed this off mic uh very good it. film from pavel Pofkowski coming back I like for another that's it um i hope to cover one day uh Copernon from lebanon uh from nadine labanaki uh and uh i think that's it andrew thank you so much for coming back to the pod you're invited anytime Please uh, join us once uh, after. Please join us again. Uh, what do you have wor- working on? I mean, when you, you were talking, out? I was thinking before I answered that question, I was thinking when no. you were talking about Javier Bardem and Angela Bassett, like why haven't they been in a movie <laughs> where they have been fucking? Like, I mean, I want to see them. I'm sorry I need them in an Almodovar. Watching, com- but I want to see them uh, in a movie like that with them that's yeah. really just like fucking. Yeah. <laughs> Like yeah, I yeah. want to see that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I I don't. I mean, I love Angela Bassett. I would be. <laughs> I would not like her to win her an Oscar for yes. that, but you know what? It is what it is. Like right. I, it's very. I I I don't I don't I don't like um Wakanda Forever. Um, I haven't seen it. On the record, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah, not, I don't either. I don't yeah. I don't like it very much. And she seems good in not, it though. She yeah. not my, I don't think I don't like her in it actually. Seems like interesting. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, I I mean it's whatever. But um, of the actual nominees that year, I think it's a really strong slate. Like, I don't yeah, love. Yeah. Burnham, I think Never Look Away Fine, but I do think Choplifters and Cold War are for the ages movie. I movies. agreed. Um, yeah. I, I saw, I, rem- I remember, and I always, if I can remember when I saw a movie for the first time, I feel like that's significant. So, like, I saw Cold War um, also at TIFF. It was one of the last days, actually. And I was super exhausted. So fucking good. I was yeah. super exhausted, and I kept thinking, fuck, I did not like either. I hope I don't fall asleep during this movie. But um, it fucking rocked me. I, it mm. just like absolutely like hit me. And then Shoplifters, I saw in a London Soho cinema in uh, it would have been December of that year. It was one of those tiny places um, in a basement with like a fifty-person capacity, and just it would have been such a good winner if War Not for Roma. It's it's such a good movie. It's it's so. Like um that movie fucking rules. That's yeah, so, so like and 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 I think that slate is also a reminder for me that like I did mention when we started that I have been working at the Palm Spring Film Festival. I've been looking at some of the international film nom submissions and we've been like on a jury. 
and I was talking with my colleagues and I was saying that if we're going to have 10 nominees for Best Picture for now, surely we can have 10 nominees for Best International Film. Because mm-hmm. handily, because handily, every, I mean, not every year, but many years, the international film nominees are so much more thoughtful than the Best Picture nominees. And I think for me, this is one of those years. Like those three films together are a fucking killer triptych. Like I, there are, they're so, they're, they're, they're so like ambitious, but they're also so like thoughtful. They're so empathetic. They're so just great movies. I mean, Roma shoplifts is cold war. Like, I mean, yeah, I agree. That, that's, that's, that, that's, that's real. pretty, those three, I think prove your thesis about 2018 being a top tier year for the decade. Yeah, it's it just like, I mean, yeah. so, I mean, I was like, you can, oh, the God, I wish they could all win. Because like, I would, I would, <laughs> I would have much, I would have much more like Paul Pawlowski to like win his Oscar for that than Ida, you know, yeah. and like Pareda has still not won an Oscar. And even though yeah. I think Vision to Leave is an excellent movie, I really am kind of upset that Broker wasn't the um, choice. Yeah. Because I, I just feel like, but I mean, you know, but again, it, it comes back to the fact that, you know, like the category is one film per country and sometimes there are just so many. I mean, yeah. I, I'd much prefer having five films from, you know, I don't know, South Korea or something than like mm-hmm. one, than like five American films because sometimes they're just not, they're just not doing it, people. They're just not doing it. Um, yeah. But um, what have I been up to? Uh, my jury stuff. Um, I have been doing my usual teaching. I mean, you can find the archive of all of my tweets on Twitter at my <laughs> handle, Departed Aviator. Departed Aviator. The last time I tweeted was the last day. Departed Aviator is one of my favorite Twitter handles, by the way. That's <laughs> fantastic. It's right um, up there with um with Rebecca Bolness's uh, Almond Milk Hotel. It's top tier. <laughs> but um, my last tweet was actually on the last day of 2021. Huh. <laughs> I tweeted this really like weird cryptic poem, and then I just like disappeared and signed off. Um, I mean, I, I do miss Twitter. Like I, I like I said, this is off cam off my but when I I I haven't seen you guys in a while. Yeah, interacted properly, and like I mean. I do miss that. Um, I mean, Twitter isn't all bad. I mean, I have made a lot of like important connections on Twitter, but I think it has all been a little bit overwhelming and exhausting right now. I mean, we're still kind of like grappling with the pandemic. And, and we can't doubt you for that. Yeah, it's like, yeah. it's like uh, this is just a little bit too much right yeah. now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm happy sure. to hear talk about Roma here. I, I, yeah. Like I said, it's a passion choice for me. And like I keep saying, like, it's not just because I love it, but I do think that there are certain things about it that people just haven't been ready to really understand. And so for mm-hmm. me with podcasts, no, absolutely. Like, it's been misunderstood. Like talking about a movie. Yeah. Like I, like I never write about a movie if I don't have something to say about it. And like for Rome, I feel like there is so much it needs to be said about the way that it's trying to do things. And if I think about like what I want from cinema, I want movies to try things. I want movies to like make ambitious strides, even if they fail. So it's like, I, 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 I want them to like try really weird things, try to you know, go out there. So Roma worked for me. Like my Quran yeah. is painting this canvas and he is, he's putting parts of himself out there, but also he's yeah. also removing parts of himself. And I think that is just, valuable yeah 
and I don't want to go into this any further. Yeah, and when you said this, I forgot it, but I forgot to mention it. I also think the Fablements is being misunderstood similarly to this one. As just like for origin for for Nick's scoring system for originality and for risks, I think that there are more than people give it credit for, but whatever. Neither here nor there. We're wrapping up. I get it. I understand. Uh yeah, I can be found on Twitter, still there, you know, just chilling till it ends. Uh, I'm Jack A. Draper. I sometimes write for the Boston Hassle. I do this a lot more. Uh, Your top tens out. I, my top tens out. Uh, Promote my letter, it. My letter, my letter. I forget to do that. I know I'm bad at it. Um, my letterbox is Jack Draper seven. Next episode, like I said, we won't be doing Parasite. You know, you heard us. Um, uh, we'll be doing a painting glory, and Wes Musinski will be here with us uh, for the last episode in the best international oscar winners and then we'll rank them which will be fun so are we gonna i feel like we would have to rank parasite in there right or maybe we do like a parasite and or pain and glory if we're gonna rank them it doesn't matter we'll talk we about can do both later. yeah maybe i think that's i think that's what we'll yeah. do okay uh everyone can follow me at birds of clay on twitter and on Letterbox. You can follow me on Instagram at Mr. Clay Williams. You can follow the podcast word account at ETT Pod. You can send us an email at exiting through the 2010s at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, share us with a friend, retweet, whatever you got to do. Run up on the street, tap a person oh on God. the shoulder two times, do a. Go to Mexico touch your, and shout touch, in, in touch Spanish. Your, to... Touch your foot, <sighs> put your hat, hat on backwards, uh, do a silly dance and say, hey, go listen to exiting through the 2010s at gmail. Or not at gmail, just. <laughs> listen to the podcast and then run away um that is it for today and this week folks be good to yourselves and see you next time on exiting through the 2010s mm-hmm.